Big Sills. Friday, man. Here we go. Six days out to the NFL draft. Six days out. I don't know how many ways you can cook this pancake, right? <laughs> I mean, how many ways can you flip the pancake here before next Thursday night? And we get a good sense. By the way, I did do what many of you asked me to do. I went back and I listened to that press conference with Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni. And I'm going to get to that here in a second. Um, it's amazing. And, 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 and by the way, do you know the one thing that I took away from that? Before I get into some of these other comments I want to make here. I am so happy to hear Howie talk draft like I do. Howie's not looking at a particular he's not looking at a particular dude in the draft or a position of need he's looking for playmakers he's looking for people that are playmakers okay playmakers that are going to come in and make a difference on their football team okay difference makers does that tell you it's going to be Bijan at 10 or does that tell you it's going to be Bijan in the draft? I don't know yet. We're going to get to that. Um, before we do, I want to hit on the Matt Patricia hire one more time. A little bit on the five players that were suspended from the NFL. I got a completely different view of this. This is just another sign right here just to show you when the NFL commissioner says that he has the player's best interest at heart. That he never will. I'm not, I'm not giving the players a pass. Because when you walk into a locker room, there's a gigantic guy in a football uniform, and it tells you and it prohibits you from, from sitting there and gambling. You know what I don't like to hear from the media, though? So if the NFL owners told Colin Kaepernick not to kneel, all of you had a problem with that. Hey! If you are told to wear a particular hat when you go into a place of business that they own, you have to wear the hat. Well, if an NFL owner tells you you can't kneel, why are you bitching then? You know the rules. Oh, I see. Hmm, interesting. So you're picking and choosing here again. You're picking and choosing. Don't all 32 owners have a right to tell? And by the way, I'm on Kaepernick's side. But you gave the NFL a pass for that. And the commissioner lies to you and tells you years after the fact, hey, maybe we should have listened to the guy. Okay? Steve, no, 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 no. No, half of America, Steve. The American... Football fan base is not New York and California or the East Coast. Football is the Midwest and South. It's basically Trump's base. That's the football base. I love how people think our country's run because New York and California have the most people in it. That's not the case. Half the country hated Kaepernick, and the owners allowed it for a little bit. Then all of a sudden, when their advertisers start complaining, the NFL stopped it. And no one's complained about it since. NFL owners don't like the players dipping their beak inside the gambling 
because that's where they're starting to make some of their money as they're putting, um, get this, as, as they're putting sports books at Lincoln Financial and figuring out how to put sports books at Lincoln Financial, they're telling players they can't gamble. Okay, you have a right, it's your business. But let's be fair on both sides of the aisle here. I get it. Don't ever tell me that the owners and the Commissioner of National Football League has the player's best interest. They don't. And does a place of business have a right to tell you not to kneel in my place? You bet you, your ass they do. If they could tell you not to gamble, they could tell you not to kneel. Okay? They could tell you not to kneel. You're damn right. Use that and apply that. See, I'm just a guy that likes to be fair. I'm just the guy that likes to be fair here. Again, am I going to do something like that, knowing full well when I walk into an NFL locker room, I see it says gambling is prohibited? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not. I'm not going to put my job in jeopardy. I'm going to have common sense. I'm going to use a brain. Absolutely. But don't, don't tell me. Yeah, you do things in a different way here that we're doing stuff here and we sit there and the NFL owners aren't aggravated because you know why the players always like to try to do what upset the model that the owners make money on. Give me a break. Give me a break. Let's move on here. The hiring of Matt Patricia kind of weird and how it went down on the website, right? Kind of weird how it went down. Would you guys make it a hiring? What do you think he brings to the table, Matt Patricia, as he brings his three Super Bowls? And I think a pretty good IQ when it comes to defense to the Philadelphia Eagles. Think it's a good hire or a bad hire? And what do you think he brings to the Eagles this year, 2023? What do you think he brings to the table? Experience on defense. And experience. Hey, more so, CJ, experience in big games. Experience in big games. Now that you have climbed into that level, and the Eagles are at that level now where you're going to be the hunted, nobody's going to be looking at the Eagles any longer going like this. Hey, man, that team just outlives its expectations. They are just a what, – what a surprise. There's no surprises in Philadelphia anymore. So what do you do when you have no surprises and you're being the hunted? You bring in professional trappers. That's what I call Matt Patricia. I think he's a professional trapper. You bring professionals in. You bring a higher quality guy into the building. You get a different perspective. You get a guy that is very experienced. And Steve says it too. He brings his experience. Somebody in... Sean Desai's here. Okay, here's what else I think he brings. What is the number one thing that was known for 19 or 20 years in New England with Belichick and Matt Patricia? What was the one thing that you remember and that you would identify with those two men in New England? What would, what would be some of the takeaways? What would be the takeaways with Patricia and Belichick running the defense. 
And by the way, Brian Flores was part of that. Okay? Brian Flores was on that side of the ball. I think he was instrumental. Okay? Hopefully helping special teams. There'll be more of an eyeball on special teams now because I think everyone knows that Belichick loves special teams. He kind of cut his chops a little bit on special teams, and Patricia will bring some experience to that side of the football as well. Winning, professional. Attention to detail, says Luther. Let me bring you this on what I think he's going to bring. In-game adjustments. And game plans. And multiple fronts. Follow me here. What was the one great thing that we always said about Belichick football teams? The in-game adjustments, not halftime adjustments, in-game adjustments. And the multiple fronts. Them and the Ravens were the creators of the what? The Skies defense and the walk-up defense. Remember how those guys would always be congregated in the middle of the field and not give the quarterback an idea on where the stronger free safety was? And those guys would just hang in the middle there, hang in the middle there. Then they would go to their positions. Then they would walk to their true positions. And then if things weren't working in the middle of the football game, what would Belichick and Patricia be doing? They would have in-game. They wouldn't wait for halftime. They would scrap a defensive game plan immediately with multiple fronts. How many times did you watch a Patriot game? You saw them in a 34 against the Bills. And then the next week, you watched the Patriots against the Dolphins, and they were in a 43. How many times did you watch a running back that was killing a team the week before for 200 yards? The next week, what? That guy was inactive. They were like a chameleon. And to me, I think that's what you're going to see being added to this defense. I think it's a brilliant hire now. Because the one thing that New England got away with and how New England covered some of their deficiencies is that they were chameleons and they got hybrid players. Teddy Bruschi, Vrabel. Go down the list of the guys that you went, man, could he start anywhere else? You put a guy with his hand in the dirt, stick him up in the air in a three-point stance to a two-point stance. Some of these guys were so good at in-game adjustments and hybrid defenses. That's exactly how you cover maybe a lesser talented team. Doesn't, aren't we in a position right now to look at the Eagles and look at those years in New England and go, boy, I'll tell you what, the defensive guys on that side of the ball, they were they were good, but they weren't spectacular. Remember yesterday I was telling you, can you really name a lot of superstar players that they had on that side of the ball? You can't. Chandler Jones was traded. Richard Seymour. You had guys like Brewski and Hightower, Vince Wolfark. They went out and made moves to get some free agents. Yes, their corners were always good in New England. That's the one thing you can always lean your, your body on and put your hat on the hook on, is that they were always great at the corner position, weren't they? Well, Belichick was a secondary coach first. Then he became a coordinator and linebacker coach. He first started as a secondary guy. That's kind of how Matt cut his chops, too. Secondary guy to coordinator. So, I mean, 
And again, too, Kyle, remember this. Willie McGinnis was not drafted by Belichick. He drafted by Pete Carroll, too, another Carroll guy. Very few of those people that were up there when they were going through their early part of their Super Bowl run were drafted by Bill. They were drafted by the, the prior regime. They weren't drafted by Bill, but Bill knew how to put people in position. Why? He learned it in New York. He learned it in New York. And here's the failure of Matt Patricia as a head coach. Here's the failure of Matt Patricia as a head coach. And it, it, it reared its head for Belichick in Cleveland. Don't, don't you guys remember the story? There was a story when Lawrence Taylor fell asleep in a giant meeting. And he was going over a defensive game plan. I think they were getting ready to play the Eagles. And it was a divisional game. It was a pretty big game. And they're sitting there talking. And after he told them what he had told the defense, as he was the coordinator of the team, obviously, he, he goes like this to him. He goes, hey, I just want you to know, Lawrence Taylor showed up to the meeting 15 minutes late. And, and Parcells looked at him. Okay. He goes, well, I just want you to know. You know what Bill told him? Why'd you start the meeting? And, and, and Bill was taken by that. Belichick was like, what do you mean? He goes, why'd you start the meeting without Lawrence Taylor, the best player on the team? So simple and so common sense. You see, to me personally, I think Bill, when he went to the Jets as the assistant to Parcells, I think that's when he learned how to deal with players better. And how to communicate a tad bit better. Because remember something, right now, the communication in New England is not very good. I mean, you bring in Will Levis, you must hate Mac Jones now. You're trying to trade him. You hate the guy. You're bringing another quarterback in. You may take a first. I mean, it's the communication in New England is lost. Why? Because remember what I said the other day, Tone? Between him and Greg Popovich, you had the greatest buffers in the history of locker rooms. Tim Duncan and Tom Brady. This is what he means, guys. You know that stupid shit on the wall? Leave your egos at the door? Well, this is what he means. This is about us. Okay? When those two guys left the locker room, those guys had been bombs. He couldn't connect with Kawhi. He couldn't connect with Kawhi Leonard. The quarterback he has now, it's been a revolving door since, since Tom Brady left. He looks like Belichick Cleveland. Not really the best communicator with his players. You always go back to who you are. You, you, you can't change your zebra stripes. So to me, the problem that you have, Patricia is a lot like Belichick. You're trying to tell me you wouldn't want to have Bill Belichick in your locker room helping your defensive guys get ready for a ball game when he's considered one of the best defensive coordinators in the history of the game? Boy, I surely would. Whether he gets along with Darius Slay or not, I don't give a shit. I'll tell you what, Nick Sirianni, after listening to that press conference in my way, I think Nick Sirianni's a lot like Parcells. I think that's a gonna I think that's gonna be a great dynamic. Sirianni has a lot of Parcells in him. Has a lot of Parcells. There's a there, there's a lot of emotion. You know, when you, when, you, when you talk to Nick, you believe him. When you talk to Patricia and Belichick, 
I don't know. Okay? By the way, we're going to get to the topics in a sec here. What up, Donnie? Appreciate you all coming aboard. Thank you so much on this Friday, too. Six days out to the draft. Hey, by the way, Jonathan Gannon, I got something for you. And I know everyone now at the Novacare Center watches the show faithfully. There were only two guys that were in your ass wanting you out of the building. That was Seth and myself. Okay? You don't really believe anybody at WIP. The flagship of the Eagles was touting that. Or anybody else around the city was touting that this guy is not who he says he is. And that the players stepped up and played in spite of that guy. Now he's taking shit shots at the Eagle media. No, no, no. He's taking shit shots at me and Seth. Because Seth and I were the guys going, this guy ain't who he is. This guy ain't who he is. Dude, you're the head freaking football coach of the Arizona Cardinals. What are you doing acting like C.J. Gardner-Johnson by throwing shade and bullshit at the Philly media? Act like a head coach. Act like you deserve the job. Dude, I'm starting to think you fit right in with the Bidwell family. That's a loser move. I don't give a shit what you think of Seth and me. I personally do not. I don't think you're a good coordinator. I think that Howie... Hey, here, let's do this. How many people give Howie the credit for the 70 sacks? Or you give Jonathan Gannon the 70 sack credit? And and for the record, when you needed a coordinator, it was in the freaking Super Bowl, not against the Tennessee Titans or some shit team like the Texans. They needed you in the Super Bowl, dude, and you were a no-show. You were a no-show. You couldn't stop that team. What were you doing playing man coverage when you hadn't all year And what were you doing passing off receivers when you hadn't done that technique all year? You got your ass handed to you by Andy Reid. Andy Reid handed you an opportunity to win that game in the first half. He came back. He put the game plan together in the second half, in-game adjustments, and he schooled you. Schooled you. Bro, I didn't need you to be the best coordinator of the number two defense against the shitty Texans. I needed you to beat Mahomes and Andy Reid, and you couldn't do it. You couldn't even – dude, the only reason that the Chiefs aren't still scoring, the clock ran out. That guy's a stupid ass. I question that guy now. What are you doing – Why are you acting like a butthurt player? You're the head football coach. You're, I mean, look, does Sirianni do shit that I don't like? I didn't like him on the park bench screaming at the Colts fans about Frank Reich. I get it. You know I love Frank. You know I love Frank. But come on, man. Act like a leader, not a follower. 
only people in Philadelphia that were kicking Jonathan Gannon's head in every day was Seth Joyner and Dan Cilio. Am I wrong? Even my harshest critics that are in here right now know that that's the truth. Even you guys know that. Come on, man. When that defense needed you to be a leader and be a coordinator, you were nowhere. Dak Prescott ripped you a new one. He was 78% completion percentage. Every single freaking time you played against elite quarterbacks, you got your shit kicked in. Am I wrong? Bro, when I was listening to that soundbite yesterday, him talking to the, does Arizona even have a media core? Seriously, do they have a media core? They can't. Hey, for the record, one of the reasons that I think it's one of the lamest media cores, I was supposed to do a radio show in Phoenix. After one week, I said, I'm not moving to that thing. Not if you're having organizations dictate programming. That's not for me. <laughs> that was not for me. That's the truth. That's what happened. I said, not happening. Big Seals doesn't leave the Dan Cave for nothing. That's not what I do. I don't even know if they have a media. I saw that soundbite, and I'm like, look, you know I'm not a defender of the Philly media. But I will say this. That media core is as hard as anybody in the nation. And do they kowtow to a couple teams in that city? Yes. I get it. It's their jobs. you got to have access. I'm not killing anybody for that. And of all the cities, them, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, The New York media, they like to make a story about them. They like to somehow insert themselves in the story. The only reason that I'm inserting it here is because the only two people that I could think of that kicked Jonathan Gannon in the face every week was me and Seth. Joseph, am I, Joseph, you tell me, am I wrong when I say that? Because you're, you go back and forth with Big Sills here on this, right? It's Seth and myself. So now I know Jonathan Gannon watched the show with Nick. Okay, that's great. I appreciate it. Believe me. Gannon and the child of a quarterback, Murray. Wait a minute, Lucius, the show. I got a take for this. Gannon and that child of a quarterback, Murray, are a match made in heaven. I'm glad the guy's gone. He owes the defensive players his first head coaching paycheck. Lucius, the show, how do you know it's Kyler Murray now? Are you sure Kyler Murray doesn't have rightful bitches about how things go with that organization? I don't know anymore. You got a head coach crying to the Philly media or about him. You got exodus of players everywhere. You had a drunk general manager who resigned. You had another general manager who's throwing shade and 
making accusations against the Bidwell family for sexual harassment. I don't know. Does that sound like a healthy environment to play quarterback in if you're Kyler Murray? If you're Kyler Murray, do you think that's a cool place to work? Man, Jalen's got it great. Jalen's got it great. Good for him. That dude's got it great. And by the way, man, a guy like Jonathan Gannon couldn't take the constructive criticism because everybody in Philadelphia was raised. That's right now watching with Buddy Ryan, Bud Carson, Jim Johnson, and Jim Schwartz. And those guys were all aggressive. And when they see soft as britches Jonathan Gannon come in and put a defensive scheme together, everybody in Philadelphia going, well, that's really not how – I mean, this is the home of Reggie White, dude. This is the freaking home of Andre Waters. Those guys were assassins. They were assassins. And then when you start playing umbrella defense, don't you think people in Philly are going to go, what is that? Not saying it didn't work, but dog, dog, you, you got to know where you are. I mean, Philadelphia doesn't enjoy watching Floyd Mayweather fights. They want to watch Mike Tyson fights. That's Philly to me. That You know what Philly is? Watching Tyson fights. One punch, you're out. Get the... I don't want to sit around and watch a guy box for 12 rounds. Jonathan Gannon is the Floyd Mayweather of defensive coordinators. Dude, I want to knock a guy out. If you're on the side of the road and you're almost dying, I want to run you over again. Sit there and help you up? What is that? That's Philly. Here. Dude, this is a football game here, guy. Bernard Hopkins fights. Big Pickens, right. Carson Wentz, thank you. Joe Frazier, right. You know why Bernard Hopkins? Knocking out Delahoya to the gut. One of the greatest punches of all time. Boom! He's down. I'm like, unbelievable. He knocked out Oscar Delahoya with a body punch. Tell me that's not Philly. I didn't hit you in the chin, kid. I hit you in the, I hit you in the gut, and knocked your ass out. That means wherever I come from, be prepared to get knocked out. That's defensive coordinators' minds in that city. Not that shit you played last year. So if they were not used to it, you had to know the room, dude. Kyler Gannon, <laughs> new Brady Belichick. I love the executioner. Okay, that so, dude, he's actually taking shots at you, also, the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. I was offended for you guys. I wasn't offended so much he was taking shots and set them. I, I kind of love it because you know me, that's a merit badge for me. But I was like, so Philadelphia hadn't seen a guy play soft as cream pie defense before and it'd be effective. Hey, is that maybe the new NFL? Maybe. 
We're starting to see more teams do that. Okay. Maybe there's a transition going on. All right. But bro, don't get don't get yourself butthurt over that stuff. When someone doesn't see something and not used to seeing it and they're used to playing light. Dude, what what is the one thing that has made Philadelphia a dominant organization since 2000? They kill you on the O-line and they got dominant defensive lines. Once again, you have that again. You have the best front seven, the best defensive line in the NFC East now. Again, you have the best O-line. So look, look, look at the Eagles. Once again, you have the best O-line and defensive line in the NFC East. Is that a shocker? No. Well, that's not cream puff football, kid. Nobody's playing flag football in Philly. Just because you coach like it's flag football, that had that was an adjustment for everyone. You're lucky they won, and you're lucky they played shitty teams. Because if they would have started, that guy would have been fired. How about this? I'll make a I'll make a, I'll make a point to you guys, and you tell me if I'm wrong on this. Jonathan Gannon hadn't gotten that Arizona job, but all those quarterbacks that are coming in, and him not having the ability to stop any of them high-profile quarterbacks, you think he would have survived the year last year as D.C.? Not a chance. Not a chance. You think that guy would have – you think he would have survived all the quarterbacks he's going to face this year? Rodgers, Mahomes, Allen, all them guys. You think he would have survived? Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. He he kept that job because they won and the players were great. Like we said, nobody brings in free. That's a Howie win. That's why when Howie let that defensive court. Dude, I think Sean decides a better coordinator than Jonathan Gannon. And you're trying to tell me Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia knows more about defense and defensive schemes and multiple fronts and disguised defenses than that guy will ever know in his entire coaching career. Just because Matt Patricia is not a good um, head coach, don't hold the fact against him. Hey, North Turner's not a good head coach. North Turner's a pretty good play caller. Okay, Ernie Zampezi couldn't be a head coach, but he was a hell of a play caller. So here, here's the greatest example. You got it in your own building. Jeff Stoughton is a great old line coach. Why should he make the attempt to be a head coach? You know why he's never tried to be a head coach? Because he knows who he is. University of Miami gave him a little taste of it as interim coach. You know what they said? He hated it. He liked being with his guys. He liked developing offensive. Mario Cristobal took over for him. That's the offensive line coach at Alabama. He said, Jeff Stoutland, dude. Like, there's nobody better. Alex Gibb, Joe Bugle. Them kind of dudes, Hudson Hawk, them dudes, absolutely. Some of the best, Larry Bechtel, Tony Weiss. Those guys are all great old line coaches. I mean, taking shots at the Philadelphia sports media and their fans. But then again, you guys, are get this. You know what's funny? You guys probably look at that and laugh. Because this is something that happens every year. 
Look at the players that have left you or people that have left you on a shitty note. You know, the only guy really who hasn't taken shots at you is Ben Carson Wentz. I give him credit for that. CJ Gardner Johnson, who I'm a fan of, got a $6 million raise. He could make $8 million. He's talking shit on the Eagles. Dude, why? You won the war. What's the point of that? You're on a pretty good football team. What's the point? <laughs> Crazy, man. So, again, for me, I'll take a shot at me. JG, have at it. We'll see how you do in a shitty organization like Arizona. Here's my prediction on Jonathan Gannon. He'll be fired in two years. Two years, give him. He'll be fired. Yeah. You know why? He's a liar. Liars in a sport like football don't go far. Because they see through that shit. See, they get paid too. Those players will get a sense of him and who he is. But then again, he's in a liar's organization. Arizona Cardinals. Okay. Dude, the Cardinals are one of the shitholes of America for NFL football. And he's in. Look where your two coordinators got jobs. Jim Irsay and Michael Bidwell. Good luck. <laughs> so you're working for Michael Bidwell and Jim Ursay. <laughs> what, what type of success do you think you're going to have in those places? Do you know why? Now I know why Tony Dungy underachieved in Indianapolis. It wasn't because of Coach Dungy. And Peyton Manning, it was the owner. Now I know why Peyton Manning wants nothing to do with the Colts. Dude, you look at Peyton Manning, you would swear he played his entire career in Denver. That's right. Hey, Charlie, after working for Jeffrey Lurie, now you're working for Michael Bidwell? Hey, man, you better not let your old lady around the complex. God knows what will happen. That's not the best environment. According to multiple people, charges, and everyone that's worked in the building. Sounds like Jerry Richardson shit all over again. All right, let's move on. I watched that press conference yesterday, and I came away more convinced than ever that B. John Robinson is going to take a lot of the thought process over these next six days on whether or not to take him in the upcoming NFL draft. My point will be this to you today. And I'm going to agree with some of the people in Philly on this. Do I think that the Philadelphia Eagles take Bijan Robinson at 10? No, I don't. But if Jalen Carter... And if Will Anderson doesn't, I do not believe he's going to fall out of three. I do not believe he is going to get past Arizona. And I don't believe that Arizona's going to trade unless it's with Indianapolis. 
where Indy trades because they picked after them and they go up one and the Cardinals go down one and they get their guy Anderson, there's going to be have probably a gentleman's agreement that they want Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson, in my opinion, makes sense in Indy. Makes sense in Indy. Um, because he wants to run the RPO system. I'm going to say something to you about Shane Steichen. I had forgotten this. Shane Steichen had worked with the Charger organization and with Justin Herbert, too. And he's also a big Philip Rivers fan. And Philip Rivers was one of the absolutely best quarterbacks to be around. I enjoyed being around him. I got a boatload of pictures of myself and Philip Rivers, and Philip Rivers is a savant. That's the guy that Jalen Hurts watches. You know that Monday night game when they were interviewing Jalen Hurts, the Mannings? They asked him, and the Mannings were pretty surprised because they thought it would be somebody like Michael Vick, somebody like Lamar Jackson. He's like, no. I watch a ton of game film because Nick Sirianni gave me a ton of game film. Where'd he get it from? Well, he, he got it from Nick Sirianni. Nick Sirianni was the OC in Indianapolis for Phillip Rivers. And he was the wide receiver coach in San Diego for Phillip Rivers. Frank was the OC. I was there. I covered it. And all those guys worked together. Rivers is the guy that hurts watches. Rivers is the guy that hurts does a lot of studying on. He said it himself. Okay? He said it himself. That's the guy I really watch a ton of game film on. I watch how he goes through his progressions and his reads, how he sees the game. So, it, it, it Steichen, no wonder Steichen was able to help Jalen. You know, Jalen's talent was something that they brought out. Okay? They brought it out. And, and I'll say this to you. Is, is Lamar Jackson a better player? Probably. Is, is Jalen Hurts the better RPO quarterback? Yes. Take that for what you will. Who runs the better RPO? Lamar Jackson. I thought about our topic yesterday. Sills, okay. Lamar's accomplished. He's done a ton. He's 26. Who runs the RPO better? Could Lamar Jackson come into Philadelphia and run with all these wide receivers and tight ends? Could he do what Jalen did? I came to the conclusion, no. I came to the conclusion, no. You know why? Because Baltimore tried to get those guys for him. They tried to bring guys in. And the only guy he connected with was who? The tight end. Which leads me to believe this. Lamar Jackson has a problem in his progression reads. Especially in this. He's not a good RPO decision maker. Jalen's better at it. I think they've got to revamp that offense. I think they've got to simplify it for him. I think they've made it too complicated. Jalen can have a complicated offense. I think that was the, br the brilliant thing. Showing, get this, 
Think about what you're doing. You're teaching an RPO quarterback, Philip Rivers progression reads. It's not supposed to be that way. They went against the grade in Philly. They went against the grade. Watch this. And guess who processed the information? Hurts. This is what makes him so smart. Jalen took all the information watching how Rivers would go to the tight end. What did, what, what did Rivers have? Rivers had Antonio Gates. I believe that RPO offense, in my opinion, in Philadelphia, that entire offense stems off the RPO, off that tight end, and what you do with Goddard. And everyone else is secondary. I don't think the wide receivers on the perimeter dictate the RPO as much as what Goddard does. But Jalen's so smart. And when you have a guy like Goddard in there, what does he do? The middle of the field's wide open. He is a he is a cover nightmare. You're going to put a linebacker on Dallas Goddard? Good luck. You know what makes him better than Zach Ertz? His nose for the end zone. His, he's got a nose for the end zone. Zach Hurts had a nose for a four-leaf clover on the field after he caught the ball. Catch down. Not that dude. That dude's looking to hurdle people to get into the end zone. Now, did Hurts have better hands? Yes. I like I, Goddard drops a couple too many footballs for my liking. I still think the guy's sensational. He's a baller, dude. But Jalen has that guy, and get this. When you're watching that on this is what made Brady special. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you guys if the murderer didn't go to the uh lockup for the rest of his life, Aaron Hernandez, that dual ten that dual tight end set that they were starting to develop in New England would have been undefensible. You couldn't have defended Hernandez and and Gronk. Not a chance. They would have ran two tight end set, and those guys would have been streak. Randy Moss would have had a hundred touchdown catches. They you couldn't have defended that. If that guy doesn't go to lock up Aaron Hernandez, that dual tight end set would have been incredible to defend. And it was becoming, you started seeing it. You were like, dude, nobody can defend this thing. Remember? When they were doing that at the beginning of it, everyone was like, holy shit, this thing is going to be a tough. You had to have linebackers like Ryan Shazier, Derek Brooks. You, you in theory, had to have cover two linebackers that could play the run, which is not common. You had to find special linebackers to cover them tight ends. You're not covering Dallas Goddard with TJ Edwards. You're not. Marshall says, I agree. That's why our offense took a drop and changed when Goddard got hurt completely. And if you think about it, let me ask you guys this. Please give me an education here on this. Was Goddard back in the Chicago game? Was he back yet for the Chicago game when Hurts got hurt in that game? Because to me, I'm telling you, Jalen Hurts, is the best RPO runner of that style of offense I've ever seen. There. Is he more talented than Vic and Lamar Jackson? No. 
But in that system, he is the best I've ever seen. And listening to those guys at the press conference yesterday sold me on it. They're paying him for his decision-making on the field and how he sees the game. Okay, he came back at Dallas. Goddard was not back yet. I think that may have played into him getting banged up. Here on Jalen Hurts. I thought about that topic yesterday. If you had to start your team with Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts, it depends on what you want to run. If you want to run a reckless RPO system, you run with Lamar. But if you want to run an offense and taking advantage of all the gifted players that they have on their football team right now, and taking advantage of everyone, then you get Jalen Hurts' ass in there. And yes, he is worth $51 million then. If you're running that style, and I, I heard this yesterday at the press conference, we don't want to change anything. No. But what I also heard was this. But we have to be smarter. We have to be smarter. Would Debo would be a 1,400-yard receiver in our offense. You know what I would want Jamison Smith, Debo to do? 1,200 yards receiving, 500 yards in jet sweeps, couple carries in the backfield. If I lose A.J. Brown or Devontae Smith, so be it. I can't lose the guy that's the quarterback. I can't lose the quarterback. I could lose A.J. I'll go get another one. I'll go get another A.J. Brown. I'll make a trade. How he's... How... Go get another one. Go get D.K. Metcalf. Run these horses until their hoofs break. I don't care. I'm not losing him. They got to be smarter. Ray, Debo Samuel is a spectacular football player. Any football team in their right mind would want him on the team. Don't kid yourself. No to Debo? Come on, guy. Isn't it funny? Most of the great wide receivers in the NFL today are second-round picks or lower. What does that tell you? Don't be snowed by some of the guys that you see in the upcoming draft because they went to fancy schools and they got fancy numbers and shitty programs. I mean, I had to look it up. Debo Samuel went to South Carolina? Really? I do not remember him at all with the Gamecocks. I do not remember him at all. DK Metcalf, I do not remember him. Devontae Adams, I never heard of Devontae Adams until he got to Green Bay. Since he was at Fresno State. I don't watch Fresno State football. Cooper Cup. All these dudes were not first-round picks. The majority of the star receivers in the game today are later-round picks. Do you know in the last 15 years of the all-pros and pro bowlers, 65% of those guys were not first-rounders? That's all you need to know. 
We're not first rounders. If you miss on a guy and you get him in the second or third, this comes down to Jalen Hurts developing that guy. By the way, what 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 helped Jalen Hurts was having a running back that gave him 1300 yards and 11 touchdowns. You know why? Look at the multitude of weapons he has when he snaps the ball. Think of this. Hertz walks to the line of scrimmage. He's got a 1,000-yard receiver, a 1,000-yard receiver, a 1,000-yard tight end, and a 1,300-yard back, and the best O-line. I'm telling you, as a coordinator, I'm sitting on the other side saying, what the F are they going to do? You have them on the defense mentally. That's why when you when you're playing defense, you're trying to get the advantage on an offense. What would you do against a Here, here. What do you do against Rodgers? You know what you do against Aaron Rodgers? Stop the run game and keep him in the box. Don't let him get out in the perimeter. Aaron Rodgers is great in open space. Keep him in the box. That's how the 49ers beat him. Keep him in the box. Stop Aaron Jones. You win the ball game. Here's how you stop Dak. Stop the run. Dak will throw a pick. Okay? You want to know how you beat Arizona? You don't let D-Hop get nuts. And you keep continually hitting Kyler Murray. You know why? He'll quit. He'll quit. You know how you beat Brady? Injuries. Dude, what stopped Tom Brady last year in Tampa? Their entire offensive line was gone. They couldn't get a run game. Brady needs a running game. Why? He's a play-action quarterback. You took play-action away from Tom Brady? He made a career on play-action. That's his career. Scene passes. Running game. And if the running game is not going, intermediate passing, short passing game. Michelle getting across the middle out of the slot. That's what made him successful. Nobody would ever confuse Tom Brady on being a deep passer. He became more of a deep threat. Why? Tom Brady never played in New England with better wide receiving talent than with Godwin and with Mike Evans and with Gronkowski when they won the Super Bowl in his entire career in New England. Why wouldn't he take advantage of that? That's why he had more deep passes in Tampa. He had more jump ball opportunities in Tampa, so he took advantage of it. But what happened when they were 7-5 and five and they lost to the Bears on that Thursday night? What happened? You guys remember? Brady went to Ar- Arians and went like this. Bruce told me. Right, we're going back to the old New England way. Short passes, short passes, short passes. Run the game. Um, playoff, Lenny. Let's go. They win it. That's how they won the Super Bowl. That's a high percentage play. Those are too much in high percentage turnover plays when you're throwing the ball down the field like that. Jalen doesn't have high turnover plays. That's the one thing also that's another key component to this RPO thing. Look at how he sees this. The low turnovers. You see, here, here, here's something to think about. Would you rather have a quarterback that throws for 35 touchdowns and have 12 picks? Or would you, 
Or would you rather have a quarterback that throws for 25 touchdowns and has six interceptions? What would you rather have? Think about that. I know I get on your case, and I kid you a lot, by the way, that Jalen hasn't thrown for 30 touchdowns. You give me the 25 touchdowns with six picks and 700 yards rushing and 10 touchdowns and 2,000-yard receivers? Bro, that differential in touchdown to interceptions is three to one. It's three to one. When you're three to one like that, it's a win. 35 touchdowns. Ask Kirk Cousins if that wins you important ball games. Ask you if that really helps you at the end of the day when it comes. And you, you know, one thing about Rivers that I always had a cow with him a little bit over was he had the Dan Marino factor. You know what that is? He's going to throw the ball like Josh Allen into tight windows no matter what. Why? Because he's so in love with his arm and his ability that sometimes he doesn't understand. Bro, you know, live and learn to live another day. Punting is part of the game too. Brady's patience, Jalen's patience is completely the most important thing that you take away from it. Mahomes loses patience. He can be beat. That's why you see teams like the Colts beat him. You know why? You frustrate him. Jam his receivers. Juju Smith-Schuster. You see, that's what Jonathan Gannon thought he was going to do, is jam those shitty receivers in Kansas City. What happened in the second half? They ran crossing routes on him. And Jonathan Gannon had no effing answers for that. That just shows you what a shitty DC he was. Dude, stay back. Do what you did all year to win those games. Let your front seven go nuts. No. He thought he changed the game up in the game. I mean, it was totally a Marty Schottenheimer move. Jonathan Gannon looked was like the Marty Schottenheimer of D coordinators in that game. Terrible, terrible mentality by the DC. How about this? The DC put your team in a position to lose. And because the Eagles were so talented, they still almost won it. Can't be that way. Coaching in the NFL matters. I told you. Mick Saban couldn't coach a guy in the NFL to save his life. You just can't. He likes to be the head chief in charge. He likes to have his own moat. He likes to have all this bullshit, you know, telling you how great he is. But what one thing does he do? He has great assistant coaches. You have great assistant coaches in that building. He's a great recruiter. But in the NFL, everyone's great. Coaching matters in the NFL. Putting your players in a position to succeed is the most important thing that a coach could do for any player. And by the way, here's another one. When he couldn't figure out how to stop the run, he went and moaned to to Howie. Howie went to the milkshake stand and ended up getting Linville Joseph, and he had to go get Adamic and Sue. He couldn't coordinate it out. What did Dan Quinn do? They were having trouble stopping the run. Quinn schemed it up. That's a coordinator. That's what a coordinator does. He doesn't go crying to the front office and blame the players because there's not enough personnel on the field. What was your excuse then, Jonathan Gannon, in the Super Bowl? Talent? That's what he'd tell you. 
Okay? That's what he would... Jonathan, Jonathan Cannon would tell you he lost the Super Bowl because of talent. Not because of him. There's coaches like that. The brother blame the player. Then he goes to Arizona and cries and moans about being shit on because of his style of coaching. Hey, guy, suck it up. Welcome to the big leagues. Geez, I would have thought one thing about Philadelphia. At least they would have schooled you on being a little tougher. Shit, man. Ben Simmons is tougher than this guy. I don't hear Ben crying about Philly. This guy's moaning and bitching, and he got the big job in Arizona. What a worm. Honestly. Dude, you are exactly who I thought you were. That guy's exactly who I thought he was. You know how you should leave Philly? Hey, man, thank you so much for all the opportunity. To be around great players and to have an ability to be able to work for Jeffrey Laurie and Nick Sirianni and Howie Roseman, it was just a real great honor to be in that building. I have nothing more to say. Frank Reich says that all the time, every time he talks about the Eagles. And this is after he got fired in Indianapolis. It's so much so that he kind of showed his hand that the Eagles wanted him back as offensive coordinator. The week of the Super Bowl, when everyone knew that Steichen was taking the Colts job, Frank came on our program. Yeah, they reached out to me on being the offensive coordinator. And I'm going like this. Well, okay. Well, that's not out there. And this guy's bitching and moaning about how tough you are in Philly. Good. Bro, hey, can you imagine what Buddy Ryan would have did with that defense? How many quarterbacks do you think would have been killed in this season last year if Buddy was your D.C.? How about if Dan Quinn was your D.C.? If Dan Quinn was the defensive coordinator, even Gus Bradley. I'll take Gus Bradley. You put Gus Bradley as your D coordinator in Philly? Shit. What's up with that Vic Fangio guy? I know you guys are high on him. What's he done? Vic Fangio school? Of what? Vic Fangio. Hey, when I'm looking at a D coordinator, I'm looking at a guy that's actually won something. Gus Bradley put that Legion of Boom together with Dan Quinn. Those are quality coordinators. Matt Patricia, quality coordinator. Here, think about this. Do you think that Matt Patricia has ever had the talent in New England on the defensive side of the football that Jonathan Gannon had last year in Philly? Do you? This guy had Fletcher Cox, Javon Hardgrave, Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat. I don't ever remember a collection of dudes like that in New England. Hightower was a good ball player. Probably better than TJ. Okay. But outside of that, Kaiser could have played. What? Here. Watch this. Brandon Graham could have played in New England during the Brady Super Bowl. Fletcher Cox could have played in the... Super Bowl era in New England. Javon Hardgrave could have played for New England and started. Josh Sweat could have played in New England and started. 
Kaiser White could have played in New England and started. Darius Slade could have played at the corner and started in New England. James Bradbury could have started in New England. Gardner Johnson could have started in New England during the Super Bowl time. Dude, those guys didn't have superstar players on that side of the ball. They schemed it up with Patricia and with Belichick. In-game adjustments, like I said, all of that. All of that. Gannon has had more talent the last two years than Patricia ever had in New England. That's why they're bringing them in. Because you know why? They're going to disguise fronts. He's great at multiple fronts. 34, 43, 50 look, bear look, all that. Wide nines, sevens. They do all that in New England. They do all that. I want to hit on a little bit more. By the way, um, my boy Jason Cole's going to join us. He's got a book out. Check this out. Tom Brady, his father, has a lot of cool things in here. And he sat down with Jason, Tom Brady's dad. And get this, I talked to Jason yesterday. You think Tom Brady's coming back? So that is right there at the bottom. See that? A lot of stories from Tom Brady's dad in here. It's pretty cool. It's a kid's book. Look at the title. Shut up. Your kid is not that great. So we're going to do that. We'll have him in the last hour of the program. Howie said something yesterday that I was so thrilled to hear. I haven't even really got to my topics here. I mean, just listening to Jonathan Gannon talk and take a a shade at you guys and throw shade at you guys just was dumb. I just, okay, just it didn't make sense. Act like you act like you got the big job, guy. Hour number two, hit the like button. Keep it here on the National Football Show. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, Injured victims are always the underdog, but that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Heading down the shore. Here, imaginations run wild and time stands still. Because here, you can find the best of the Jersey Shore all on one five mile island. So leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods.
My name is uh, Fran Solano. I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Biased in this take here, so just go with me here. I got a I got a call from someone. I won't say who. Um, but I got a call from someone, and I watched some film on them. If the Eagles looked at Will Mallory, tight end, University of Miami, somewhere in the second day between four. And six, Marshall goes, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this because it needs to be said. This is a great hire, and I'm getting fed up with Darius Slay's antics. People not liking Patricia on account of Slay upsets me. Marshall, it's okay. Here, here's why, Marshall. It's okay if Slay and fans are like that. Here's why. If you're a great coach and a great organization – you coach that and manage that. Don't be lazy and just hate the guy because they hate the guy. You know what I'm saying? That's a lazy take. Anton, BJ told Dan Patrick he compares himself to LaDainian Tomlinson. So do I. Now, if you knew you'd be getting LT, surely you would take the top 10 pick. You absolutely would. How he said that yesterday, too. And I'll, I'll hit on that. I want to finish this up. Somewhere in the second day, you put a tight end to Will Mallory because he's got a great set of hands. And I think he would be a pretty good – and by the way, you guys have been great at drafting tight ends. And I kind of talked to Tracy a little bit about it, so they're going to kind of throw his name around a little bit in the building there. But keep an eye on Will Mallory. I think Mallory's going to be a good football player somewhere. He's not a first-day guy, obviously. You know, I – you know. Miami's telling me he's a second or third. I'm like, I don't see second or third. I see somewhere fourth, five, six, somewhere there. Okay. Somewhere there, four, five, and six. So I, I, he had a really good career down there. And Miami, what is the one thing you can be sure of? Miami produces tight ends. The Canes produce tight ends. It's a tight end school. Look at all the great tight ends that have come out of that program. You're not going to get a bad tight end coming out of the University of Miami. I mean, they're littered throughout the last 20 years. Yeah, Dion, that's where I think it is, too. I think he's a force. 
four through six kind of guy. Yeah, that's right. Hey, picking. Slade's never going to live out that contract, so who cares at the end of the day? Okay? Who cares? This is about winning ball games. I don't want to – hey, I don't want to sit around and have to worry about somebody being butthurt over something. Let's just move on. You know what I mean? So Will Mallory, somewhere between four and six, I would think that hopefully the Eagles take a look at the tight end from the University of Miami. All right. Howie Roseman knows what he sees here with B.J. Robinson. He said it so at the press. You know, I took a ton away from that press conference yesterday. Okay? Fly, you're forgetting another guy, too, that tried changing the room. The guy that played in Seattle and New Orleans. You forgot him, too. Okay? You forgot that guy. Um. <clears throat> I would, I would, I would, I would, you heard him when, when his name was brought up, you heard him say he's a special player and I'm paraphrasing here. Um, yeah, that's right. Picking the guy in Cleveland. I had forgotten. He's a really good player too. Shit. The guy in Minnesota, right? He's another one. That's a good ball player. Miami's got a ton of tight ends. So Mallory's not a reach. Um, He's a special player. And what I loved, what I heard from Howie Roseman, I don't look. Did he not echo what I said? Now I know he watches the show. He echoed it. And you know what? Was it you, Yale, or somebody? Said, Sills, you got to watch the press conference. Tell me what your feedback is. Because here's kind of what he said. I'm not going to sit there and take a lesser player on a position of need just to draft a guy because it's a need position and take the lesser guy. I've been telling you that now for three months. And I've been telling you that now since I got a handle on him, how he's not going to draft a guy. He's not going to draft a guy just to draft a guy because he's the third best edge rusher. And you got a need at that. He's going to take an elite player. Hey, that's right. Tone, he kept saying unique. It made me think of you, Big Sills. Tone, that's right. Unique. Unique. You ever heard how he used the word unique before I show up? Dude, I know they watch the show. What's his name? Um, our, our good friend Merrill Reese was in the office with Sirianni himself when he did the show. Okay. Unique. How he brings up you. He, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. And that's why Merrill comes out and says, I value your opinion massively. Because obviously, hey, you may not like my delivery or my style, but at least you watch me. And that's what they're doing there. And I respect that. They know I almost got hired by Ken Herrick and Al Davis. They know I almost got hired by Mike Lombardi. They know all that as a, as a uh, talent guy. They know I almost went to work for Ron Wolf. I was this close to going into personnel. I didn't want to coach. I wanted to go into personnel. Okay. And I'm glad to hear him say that it's, 
Here, I'm going to tell you, here's my critique of Howie and how he runs his football team. That deal he put together for Jalen Hurts, it's like putting the Constitution together or carving out the Pieta. Okay? Sills, you remind me of your Jalen Hurts takes. You may not like the style, but damn it, you got to watch. Thank you, brother. That contract he did is the Pieta, the Michelangelo. It's it's brilliant. Finding Gardner Johnson. That guy was on another football team's roster that's in salary cap purgatory in New Orleans. And Mickey Loomis, who I have a shit ton of respect for, didn't see it. He did. Brilliant. Figuring out the Rubik's Cube where Arizona, Carolina. I'll tell you what, if I'm the owners of Arizona and Carolina and my coach or my scouting department draft an edge rusher, I'm going to kick your freaking ass because you couldn't figure out Hassan Reddick. That's an organizational failure. Eagles figured it out. He's not a great tackler. He's not a great cover guy. I'm not paying him for that. I think that's one of the mistakes Dan Quinn makes with uh, Micah Parsons. Bro, I don't want you dropping in coverage. Go kill the quarterback. You're going to make more of an impact on a football team killing the quarterback for me than covering a stupid-ass running back out of the backfield. Am I right? Go kill that guy. Look, how about this? That one impact play that Hassan Reddick had, and he had a bunch of them. That one impact play was one was one impact play that I never saw Micah Parsons make all year. NFC title game. He takes the starting quarterback out. If he had bombed all the way up until that play, I would have went, that's a win. That's a win. Yale goes, it it ended the game three minutes. Dude, there was 57 more minutes of football to be played. Reddick earned his money on that play. Why would I drop his ass in coverage? Howie and the staff and everyone figured it out. The drafting of these old line and him, dude, he's way better. I did not think he was that hot a GM. But being out of the broom closet, since he's he's way better. I mean, I mean, he he really is a knack for pro personnel. A tremendous knack for pro personnel, Kaiser White. Fabulous. Dude, to me, Kaiser White is exactly what a Howie Roseman player is. Same with Gardner Johnson. Guys that were on a roster, you didn't know what to do with, you didn't want to pay them, 
So you bring them in, they contribute, you win. Now they're generational wealth. Bradbury was shit on what made that even more better. More better? <laughs> what made that even better was that you kept Bradbury in the division. By the way, that's not talked about a lot. Don't you think Bradbury having the advantage of playing with the Giants and staying in the NFC East was a contributing factor on why he got a contract extension? Don't you see the correlation? Nobody in the newspapers, nobody in the Philly media has put that together. Bradbury has played his entire career in the NFC East. He knows all these wideouts. That played into his continuing to be a better ball player. He didn't have to change conferences. He didn't have to change coast. He didn't have to change divisions. He's in the same division. Tell me that's not an advantage for James Bradbury. Okay? Okay? Bro, he was with the New York Giants. But, okay, I shouldn't say started his entire career. Correct. But he was with the Giants. He made the Pro Bowl in New York. He made the Pro... Okay. Started it in Carolina. I should have said... Okay. Last... Anyway. Then on top of that, his ability in the later rounds is where the organization has really done a nice job. Sweat in the fourth. Okay? And again... Just when you see the mishaps like the Andre Dillards or the Ragers and the overdrafting of Jordan Davis or the gamble on Nicobe Dean, because that's what they are still. They're gambles. One guy's a good player, one guy is overdrafted. It's okay though, because as I said yesterday, 17 of the 22 guys that you have going into the 2023 training camp before the NFL draft have been built through the draft. That's a great, that's a great percentage. Actually, I would say this to you. The Eagles are starting to get the draft right. They're starting to get it right a little bit where they haven't for 23 years. They're not good at drafting corners. We know this. And they're not very good at drafting edge rushers. Okay, they're just not. However, again, not to go down that route. But to hear how we say this leads me to believe um, how he sees B. John Robinson. He's a game-changing player. Here are the game-changing players in the draft. Will Anderson. Jalen Carter. B. John Robinson. Maybe Tyree Wilson. And the offensive line guys, I'm okay with it because I'm going to show you where I'm going to go here. Brian, Derek Barnett, again, you know, he's been there how many years? Jesus, criminy. If not now, when, son? 
If not now, when? Hey, and I, and I do want to say this to you before I, I give you the second topic here. Kenneth Gainwell and Boston are inferior talent in that offensive huddle. They're the worst of your talented players in that 11. Every running back you have in that 11 don't belong in that huddle. Everywhere you look in the Eagle offensive huddle is elite, except with the collection of dudes. And everyone's going to look at that and go, well, Sills, do you, do you actually believe you think you have Miles Sanders in that backfield right now? You don't. Don't you think, don't you think Howie would have done this if he thought that Gainwell in Boston could supplant Miles Sanders? Sanders wouldn't have got over 200 carries. He'd have been phasing him out. Instead, they leaned on him. Why? Because the other guys weren't good enough. Don't lie to yourselves. Don't lie to yourselves. If you know you have cheaper players and you know that you have a player that you're not good, here, use your common sense here on this. If you have a player that you fully well know you're not going to sign a $7.5 million contract with in the offseason, you never offered him anything, and you believe that your guy, Boston and Gainwell, could take the position of Miles Sanders, wouldn't they have been trying to phase Sanders out the entire season instead of giving him over 250 carries. Use your common sense. If I know I could get a better football player in a position, why do you think really Andre Dillard wasn't used so much last year and Jack Driscoll was used more? Because they had no intention of moving forward with Andre Dillard. Andre Dillard had no shot in hell in staying with the Eagles. Jeff Stoutland didn't want him. Jeff Stoutland felt more comfortable, felt more comfortable with Jack Driscoll than he did with Andre Dillard, and you took him in the first round. That's how that works. Driscoll was a later pick. And by the way, Charlie, I'm not saying Boston and Gainwell aren't decent players. They're good. But that's you're not elite there. You're elite. So every single position in the offense, some go like this, where you can't be the lead everywhere. Why? Why can't you be a lead everywhere? You, Jesus criminy, you're not going to have the 10th pick ever again. You're not going to have the 10th pick ever again. The Eagles are not going to pick in the 10th spot again. Do you understand this is an opportunity to get an impact player? Because for the next decade, you're going to be picking in the 20s and near the 30s. You're hoping, right? Make it impactful. Make it impactful. The 10th pick. How many people think the Eagles are going to be in the 10th spot over the next decade? How many people think the Eagles are going to pick in the top 10 over the next decade? I don't.
How many times have has the Eagles picked in the last 25 years in the top 10? I know Wentz went early. How many times have they picked since the 2004 Super Bowl in the first 10 picks? Good football teams don't get – look at Seattle. Seattle's got two first-round picks also. they got to take complete advantage. That's why passing on Jalen Carter for them – I mean, dude, do you look at the quarterback? Are you really – here, to me, these quarterbacks, I think these quarterbacks are so overrated. I think one of them is going to be great. Can I tell you who? I think the guy who's going to be a great player is going to be Bryce Young. I think the rest of those guys, I don't know. I mean, really, when I watch those guys play, and by the way, I heard somebody say something today that Bijan was on a shitty football team. Let me give you an impactful insight on the draft. Give you an insightful impact here. And Texas wasn't good. And by the way, against Alabama, he had 130 total yards against Alabama last year. What was John Elway's record at Stanford? Check out these pictures. John Elway's record at Stanford was 20 and 23. Mac Jones, did he lose a game? In his career? Sometimes you're on a shitty team. Hey, this is how you look at the Texas Longhorns. You know, they got 53 first. I would say this. On the first page of the um, of the scouting and all of those, like, um, scouting combines and all of those rivals pages, There's 53 guys of 85 dudes in scholarship that are five-star guys. They have done an absolutely pathetic job of bringing talent in. But of those 53 five-star dudes, a couple of them are going to be star ball players. This kid's one of them. Hey, and by the way, so, so you're trying to tell me, you think if you put B. John Robinson behind the Georgia Bulldog offensive line, you don't think that guy runs for 700 yards a game? Really? Better talent? You, how many people think that reason, one of the reasons that Jalen Hurts is getting better is because he's got massive talent around him? You think that plays into Jalen's evolving into being who he is? Or do you think it's just all Jalen? Really? You think the fact of having Kelsey, who sets the blocking schemes, and is a savant at center, Hall of Fame right tackle, a great player at left tackle and left guard, a tight end who's in the top five, a wide receiver who, get this, A.J. Brown, for all of his bullshit, here's what I like about A.J. So what he talks so much. You know what I do love about him? He's, this guy's going to go head hunting back there in the run game, and he's going to look to knock someone out. You want to talk some shit? I'm all gay with it. I'll just coach it. I'm good with it. 
See, I don't mind that shit talking when you're doing stuff like that and dirty work out there. A.J. Brown wants to talk about the Titans and he wants to talk about social media and he wants to bitch about this or that. When I turn the game film on and I see him with seven catches, 125 yards and knocking dudes out in the secondary in the run game, I don't give a shit. I don't give a shit. I don't care. Go ahead, talk. Now, again, you start sucking and you start losing, then you got to rein things in. But, bro, as long as your production is where it needs to be, you get equity with me to talk shit and do whatever you want, as long as it's not harmful to the organization or to the rest of your guys that you have and the other 52 in the locker room. I don't care what you do. Again, I have certain rules. Got to stand for something or you'll fall for everything. Be on time. Play like hell. Don't beat kids. Don't beat elderly. Don't hit women. I don't give a shit about the rest. I don't care. Too many rules get in the way. Put all these speed bumps in front of your football team or in front of your horse. How does he get out of the gate? So many organizations, man. So many organizations put all these speed bumps in front of the gate. Horse never gets out. Hey, don't root for Dallas. <laughs> I didn't like when he lost his cool in the sidelines. I, 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 you know, but, 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 but yell, coach it. You hear me? Coach it. Hey, dude, come on. Yeah, but see, you know what, too, Yale? When you're when you're when your wide receiver is losing it on the sideline and your head coach is losing it on the sideline, too. You know, head coach sets the tone. Head coach sets the tone. So you got a head coach standing on a bench and he's screaming at the Colts fans about Frank Wright. And if A.J. Brown is bitching about something on the sidelines, oh, yeah, but, but yeah, again, the coach sets the tone. He set the tone, dude. The, 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 the guy who's totally the most even kid. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The guy is the quarterback on the sidelines. He's the guy that keeps everything in rap. By the way, it just shows me, too, how sometimes he puts Sirianni's hand down. Just looks to me like 
the coach of that football team is Howie Roseman. I don't know. It's just me. Just looks like Howie, man, has complete control. And Jalen doesn't take, <laughs> like, like Tone said yesterday, with great power comes great responsibility. And when Jalen puts the cape on, you know, he handles his responsibility better than anybody, including his coach. That's okay. Jalen handles his Jalen Jalen controls his his responsibilities. It's great. Brady was like that. Don't you think it was always something that you never really played into or any really ever thought of when you went like this? Why does Brady always put Aaron Hernandez or Antonio Brown or Corey Dillon? or Lamar Smith, or any of those troubled players, why were they always around him? Because Brady was trying to be an influence. Get this. Think about how Brady handled his locker room compared to Wentz or some of these other guys who can't like Aaron Rodgers. If Brady can't connect with the hardest guys on the team to connect, he can't connect with Wes Welker. That's how he looked at it. If Brady can't connect with Aaron Hernandez, Corey Dillon, or some of these other dudes. There's not a chance you could connect with Wes Welker and Adelman or Amendola, especially when you're screaming on the sidelines. I told you this, guys, in this story. Um, Joe Madden told me this. I go, Joe, how do you motivate Cliff Floyd and all these guys who are cast-off players from other organizations? You know what he said? He goes, I go, I see you screaming at these guys. He goes, I have to have a personal relationship with each and every single one of them. So when I'm talking to them, it's constructive and not destructive. Because once a player starts to see you're being destructive towards him, that's how he's going to perceive you for the rest of his time in your clubhouse. He'll never change that. and He'll never not look at you in a different light. You, a coach has one shot at a player to connect. And the first steps you do, Joe used to have all these stupid ass like theme road trips. Used to have these dumbass road trips like beach, beach volleyball, and everyone showed up in beach gear on the way out because they were going to the West Coast, or it was like snowman building or some shit when they went to the Midwest early in April or some. He would do all that stuff, and it was team bonding shit. Dorky. Kind of like high school, it worked. It worked. Controlled chaos. Control the chaos. Hey, that's why for me, when I see a player go somewhere else and succeed, take a look at this here, for, for instance. We're going to move on here because I want to tell you what, what I'm going to do and where I'm at right now when it comes to the Eagles' 10th pick. Okay. Mike Tomlin doesn't get enough credit for what he did with Antonio Brown. I said this after Brown's situation a couple of years ago. This ain't ending well. This guy took a lighter and put lighter fluid to a Hall of Fame career. What a shame. Man, this ain't ending well. This ain't ending well. We're going to... Open up our social media pages. We're going to get a notice on our phone one day. And I don't even have to say it. 
You know what's coming. There's two ends to this. There's two ends. Prison. This was never going to end any other way. And the Steelers kept him in that building with Mike Tomlin because of the culture in the building. Everywhere else has been a train wreck in his life. And what happens to train wrecks? They eventually derail. Uh, if there's no, he's burnt through all his money. He's burnt through all his fame. He's built through all his goodwill. He has shit on every single human being. I actually feel terribly sorry for him to a point. And by the way, to a point, because at the end of the day, you and me, we get up every morning, we go to work, we have heartache, we have hardships, we have bills to pay. We have stacks of things that are on the table that we have to take care of too. Hey, F that guy. I agree. Completely agree. You built through $80 million? Hey, guy, what do you want from me? I'm like, yeah, I got $85 in my bank account. You want me to cry for you? That's not going to work, especially in a place like Philly. That ain't going to work for me. Sorry, guy. You ain't getting a tear out of me. Know what you're going to get? A pathetic out of me. People with empathy will have it. Most of us have empathy. It's a hey, prison or the graveyard. Schwartz ending. Nowhere else. Dude, and the one thing that you should always be, and the thing that he doesn't see, I'll move on to this moment here. Dog, when I die, I don't want anyone to tell me, hey, Sills played pretty good college football. He got drafted. One of the great things that a player could ever have is to be a high draft choice. Was in broadcasting for 35 years. Was really, man, did a lot of, met a lot of people. You know what that means to me? Shit. Because when I leave this world, I want my daughter to go. My dad was a great dad to me. That's my testament. My responsibility. I don't. I told my daughter, I don't have to love you. Are you kidding me? I feed you. I house you. I give you everything you want. My family helps you go to school. You're my responsibility. Love you? Don't get it twisted here. Love you? You're my responsibility. That's my responsibility. When you start having people tell you bullshit about love, they'll let you down. People let you down all the time. I tell my daughter this. I don't have to love you, honey. I do. But you're my responsibility. Some, you know, you know, it's easier. It's easier to have a kid than get a gun. You know what's crazy? You don't have to have a license to have a kid. 
Anyway, let's move on here. As of this Friday, six days out. That's where I got it from, BF. I love that line. I I, I, I saw that in my daughter, because my daughter was telling me about, why are you always telling me to get better and do this and that? And I said, you don't, do you love me? Do you not love me? And I, and I, and I saw that and I was like, it was profound for me. I was like, man, he's right. I don't have to love you. I don't have to. You're my responsibility. All right. How many people would have a problem with the Philadelphia Eagles drafting B. John Robinson using the 10th pick? How many would using the 10th pick? How many would have a problem with the 10th pick? By the way, he loves the kid, which already is leaning me more that way. Can I tell you, do you guys agree? Okay, well, Roland, after listening to him yesterday, after listening to him yesterday, Yale Tone, would it be beneath Howie to do this? Say a team drafts him. Fifteenth. How he gives him the thirtieth pick, makes a trade on trade day, grabs him. Say he's seventeen. You use the thirtieth pick for him. Give you the thirtieth pick and a second rounder. Thirtieth pick and a second rounder versus the tenth pick for an impact player. He said it. A special impact player. Probably too rich. But here's what I would do. And I'm going to stick to this. If my guys, Jalen Carter and Anderson goes to three, there's not a guy in this draft that I covet. Not a guy in this draft. And I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. Here's my game plan. I covet two things in this first round. An O-lineman and five. So I'm going to figure out a way to get five. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to shop the 10th pick. I got to stay ahead of Dallas, though. Dallas wants this guy. You know I know the Joneses. Man, they want this guy so bad. Texas kid. Longhorn. Playing with the star. So he's a Longhorn. Get this. In the state of Texas, the Dallas star and the Longhorn emblem. I don't know. You couldn't find a lot of states that have that kind of dynamic. You played at the University of Texas, and you're a cowboy. Bro, 
you're 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 legendary. You're when when Earl Campbell played for the Longhorns and played for the Oilers, he was a god. He was a god. I go to the Patriots. The Patriots want an O-lineman. They want one of the O-linemen. And if those two guys are there, I trade with the Patriots. I move to 14, and I get Robinson at 14. Do you feel more comfortable taking the running back at 14 than you do at 10? I do. I, I, I kind of agree with you guys. 10, even though he's the third best player in the draft, I completely agree with you. Even with the third best, I completely agree. I completely agree. That's a lot. Howie is a is Howie a deal maker? Dallas moves up to nine with Chicago and jumps the Eagles. That's why you still hey Yale, everyone. That's why you've got to watch the board. But here, what helps Justin Fields more? What if Jalen Carter, B.J. Robinson, Skronoski, and Paris Johnson are there for Chicago? What if those guys are there for the Bears? Who helps Justin Fields out more? Remember, I'm not taking a running back in a rebuild. The Bears are in a rebuild. You build your football teams like the Eagles. You see, this is why Chicago... Yale, if they did that and drafted the running back, Chicago, before building the O-line, there's a problem with the Bears. The Bears are not in a position to draft a running back. They're not in a position. Now, the Bears need multiple positions to go to Yale and everyone else's point. They need multiple positions to fill. D-tackle, the breezy kid maybe later. On that side of the ball, they need an edge rusher, maybe the Iowa kid. They seem to like him. I think they need multiple picks. So the Bears moving that ninth pick, okay. I mean, would the Bears rather get three really good players or one exceptional player? I think you go for three if you're the Bears. You got so many holes to fill. I don't think Dallas has enough equity to do that, though. I don't think they have enough equity or enough cap room. Remember, Dak's cap hit this year is massive. Okay, I mean, they need as many draft choices as they can. And you giving away your draft picks just so you can grab one running back? That means that Dallas thinks they're a player away. Are they? They've had a great offseason. I think they've had a really good offseason. And how much would how much would a guy like BJ Robinson help Dallas? A ton. And he's on a rookie deal. That means this I don't have to go get Derrick Henry. I don't have to go get Derrick Henry and spend eleven million dollars on him. You see, here's the hidden value in Robinson. Why would I pay ten million dollars for Dalvin Cook? It's what he wants. Or it's what he's making. Derrick Henry's making $13, $12 million. 
That's a lot of money on your cap. Why not go get a rookie? Who is maybe as talented or in the room, especially depending on what your old line. Now, here's something else to think about. If you're Tennessee, do you move Derrick Henry to Dallas and take Dallas's pick at 26 and then you draft Robinson or maybe you move up? I think there's going to be a lot of movement next Thursday night. Dallas is getting a running back, a vet, or they're getting that kid from Texas. I don't know. I think the Dolphins and the Vikings, boy, the Vikings are making really weird moves. Or at least conversations. They're talking about Trey Lance and moving Dalvin Cook. How does that help you? Are they thinking of taking Robinson later? Hey, Think about it. Keep an eye on the Vikings. Keep an eye on the Vikings. If they move Dalvin Cook to Miami, they could be in play for Bijan Robinson as well. Rookie contract, you don't have to pay $10, $11 million for Dalvin. Dalvin Cook's a good ball player. I could see Buffalo win the move for him. But that's later in the draft. I don't think he's going to get down there. I think... I think of all the players, get this, you know the thing that is really putting the roadblock up on Bijan Robinson is this asinine thought process that you don't do that for a running back. Dude, you do that for LaDainian Tomlin, and I'm sorry, I disagree with people who say he's not a special player. He is. Every single scout I've talked to has said he's the legitimate deal. The last time I was this sold on a running back was Adrian Peterson. I kept telling the Bucs, you got to draft this guy. You know what Bruce Allen and the Bucs told me? They were going like, he's got a shoulder injury. Because he had a shoulder injury his senior year or his last year at Oklahoma. I'm like, it's not a knee. This guy's going to, this guy is a superstar ball player. He, I go, you don't see that? And Bruce is like, eh. I think they got Cadillac Williams. I think they got Cadillac Williams or something. I think they went with him. I'm like, bro, this guy, Adrian Peterson, I'm telling you, he's a special dude. Nah, you know, we like, I'm like, I don't know, man. Cadillac wasn't even the feature back at Auburn. It was Ronnie Brown. And I was like, he wasn't even the featured dude. And they went with him. I think he had three three games in a row, 100 yards, and Buccaneers. You know what they were doing? They were calling me going, hey, look at our guy now. And I'm like, yeah, okay, well, let me see if the little guy can hang. Well, he couldn't. He couldn't hang. He wasn't big enough. And he was never the feature back at Auburn. Tommy Tuberville was like this. Man, Cadillac's a good ball player. But Lionel James was tougher. Lionel James had a great career. He ran in the backfield with Tommy Agee and with Bo Jackson. I played against him. I'm like, yeah, I don't see that. And again, I kept doing this to Bruce Allen and everyone in the personnel office with the Bucks. I kept going, it's a shoulder injury. He's going to get over that. 
I mean, it's not like he tore his ACL out. We found out, even though he tore his ACL out when he played with the Vikings, the next year he comes back and almost breaks Eric Dickerson's 2105. And you're like, this guy's, there's something in the room with that guy. He, he was a generational player. Yeah, I played against Lionel Little Train James when he was at Auburn. I posted the game I played in, too, at Jordan-Hare. That was a pretty wild place. I was a freshman at Maryland, believe it or not, then. I was a backup defensive tackle at Maryland, and I played against Bo Jackson, Lionel James, and um, Tommy Agee. All three of those guys played in the NFL. That was a hell of a backfield, man. And Bo, dude, Bo, you see Bo Jackson, you're like, hey, Bo Jackson from the front, his legs were like this. Tone. Both legs were like this. They were like, like two pens. From the side, they were like this. <laughs> this guy was built like a racehorse. I was like, it was the weirdest thing you've ever seen. You look at him straight on, you're like, well, this guy's not that. He was kind of tall, right? Little legs like this. Then from the side, you saw them thighs, man. They were like this. And bro, I don't know, man. He had cellophane over his body or something because that's a guy that must have been a science project because they like had every single part of the body, like the heart, <laughs> the liver, he pulled the shirt up once because, you know, they were doing something. We're, we're sitting there looking at him, me and Pete. We're sitting there looking at him. I'm like, I'll tell you what, you could put that guy in a science class right now and you could dissect that guy. There's his spleen. There's his kidneys. There's his I – mean, you're like, <laughs> unbelievable. I've never seen anything like him. And you ever see him break that bat over his knee? <laughs> Dude, that freaking guy was a freak show. I was very fortunate. I played against Dion, Bo, and Herschel. And I would tell you, and, and Eric Dickerson, um, Earl was past his prime. He was in his last year. He wasn't Earl Campbell, Earl Campbell. I played against Ironhead, pro and college. Eric Dickerson was the best back, though, I ever played on. ED, man, he'd get through that line of scrimmage, man, and he starts standing up, and, man, he ran like a horse himself his nickname is pony <laughs> i call him pony <laughs> man he, him, them goggles man all you see is them goggles and he's gone dude don't let him get ahead of steam up uh marcus allen marcus allen played against him yeah but eric dickerson was just a just a freak show man he was eric dickerson's the best running back i ever played against he he was totally legit, dude. dude he get in the open field, man. You could not catch him. I think he went in the Lawrence Taylor draft. Whew. Man, what a ball player. Honest to God, though. The legs of, like, Bo were, like, this thin from head on. You saw him from the side, dude. I mean, it. I've never seen a bigger set of legs. Only on a horse. Little tiny ankles. That guy getting the open open field, never catching him. Dude, the only way – my wife used to say things about Bo were this. Thank God he's got clothes on. <laughs> hey, guys, honest to God, my wife used to do this. Thank God that guy's got clothes on because none of you catch him. 
Yeah, Bo Jackson, man, get in the open, man. You 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 grab onto anything, man, because you were chasing. That guy was really a great ball player. Could not. Most people weren't alive when the 49ers won. Hey, Roger Craig was a special player. I love Roger Craig. Roger Craig used to lift his knees up so high. I'm friends with Roger. And Roger, very underrated back, should be a Hall of Famer. I believe Roger's the first guy to go 1,000 yards receiving and 1,000 yards rushing. Do you know nobody outside of Jerry Rice and Joe Montana are in the Hall of Fame from that Super Bowl run with Joe, with them four Super Bowls in the offensive side? Nobody else but those two. Those are the only two Hall of Famers. Harris Barton, no. Jesse Sapalo, no. Randy Cross, no. Um, nobody. Tight ends, no. Only Rice and Montana are on the Hall of Fame. Defense, lot. I think Fred D may have played a little bit with them. Maybe a little. Only Dean, no. Randy Cross, no. Oh, Roger Craig was a great ball player. He should be, he should be in. He's a great player. So here, here's what here's what I'm doing as of today. Here's my game plan. I'm moving down to 14. Dallas scares me. Because I think Dallas is gonna. Yeah, because you get this. Once Dallas sees at 10 that the Eagles move down to 14, that would force Dallas to have to get to 13 and to get ahead of them. That would force Dallas to have to get ahead of them. And then get this. You could probably get your old lineman sitting there at 14 and then trade out of 30. Smart. If I'm not getting Will Anderson, Jalen Carter, I'm moving down from 10 to get Robinson. I'm going to sit at 14 and wait, see what happens to the board. You know why? At either 14 or 30, I'm going to get what I truly covet. What is that? One of the one of the 87 graded offensive linemen. Remember what Chris Landry said the other day to you. Dude, if you get a guy, it doesn't matter what the name on the back of the jersey is. If they have the same grades, they're in the same sandbox. Does it matter if you get the kid from Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, Osiris, the kid, Torrance? Does it matter? You get what you coveted the whole time. And you save your pick. You know why? You got the old lineman. One of the things you do spectacular at. What's that? Developing offensive line. You put them at guard. You put them in between Kelsey and Lane. Helps Jalen Hurts. And then you trade out of 30. And you get multiple picks in two, three, and four. Sounds to me. Maybe you get your second-tier running back that you guys so want. I would never do that. I'd get a veteran back. If B. John is the pick, the Eagles and Cowboys are playing chicken all day, night. That's correct. Because once, once the Eagles and the Patriots make that move, that's going to force the hand of the Cowboys. The Cowboys are going to have to do this. And they don't have the... They don't have the luxury of the 2024 draft that the Eagles have because you know what the Eagles can do too? 
the Eagles have multiple picks in that draft. They're going to have like 12 to 14 picks next year in that 2024 draft. You can't move the compensation picks, but you have eight as of tonight. You have eight picks. So, I mean, you, you, you have equity for next Thursday night and next year's draft. I mean, Austin Eckler would be a great player in that offense for the Eagles. Austin Eckler in the Eagle offense would be sensational. Austin Eckler behind that offense, you know, yeah. Austin Eckler. Bijan is the Bugatti. Yeah. And some people in Philly, in the sports media on radio, they want, instead of you drafting the Bugatti, right, where there's like 10 made a year, they want you to drive an Acura. It's okay. I drove an Acura. Really great cars. Okay. It's a great car. I love it. But if I could get a chance to get a Bugatti for the same price as an Acura, Oh, you're right. I'll take the Acura. Okay, yeah, all right. Hey, Seals, so you have to pay just like a thousand dollars more for the Bugatti. Do you want to stick with the thousand? Do you do you want? Hey, do 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 you do you want the special hubcaps? Do you want the special rims? I had special rims put on mine. My thing was all decked out, man. I love my Acura. I decked that. Me and Lonzo Highsmith. We went together and we bought them. We decked it out, man. AMG kit, everything. I had everything in this thing. Oh, this thing was like 65, 70 grand. Oh, my God. I had everything in this thing. This thing was wonderful. Low profile, everything. Says, you want the rims? Yeah, I want the rims. So on draft night, some of you guys go, yeah, I'll kick. I don't want to pay a thousand bucks for the rims. I don't want to do that. I'll just take the car. All you got to do, dude, is the rims will make the car look better. Nah, that's all right. I don't want to pay for it. You want the Bugatti? Nah, that's all right. I'll stick with the Acura. <laughs> Seals, you drive a smart car. You think I could get in a smart car, B-Walk? Smart. Hey, here's the cars I've had. It's embarrassing, actually. I've had a Lotus Esprit, a Maserati, a Porsche 911, a Corvette, a BMW, a Mercedes-Benz. I have a Hummer now. I had a Mustang GT. I think that's it. <laughs> Someone always asks, why did you get the Ferrari? I'm like, yeah, couldn't go there. <laughs> Now give me a cheaper, younger back for four years at 10. Not trying to be cute and lose out. I hear you. Sills is bigger than the smart car. Hey, 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 just so you know, 26. What are, what are those What are those little MG guys? You know one of those little MG cars? Those, oh, no, Cooper. Let me tell you what happened to me. Before I, let me, hey, Tone, let me do this before I go to break. Hey, Brian, so you know, my father, I bought this Blue Lotus. 
could I fit in it? No. My dad goes, do you think he could fit in this thing? Yeah. It's a mid-engine car. Yeah. No, I don't just, why does it look too tight? He goes, you think? <laughs> I'm like, no, this fits, this fits perfect. Don't you think? <laughs> Stupidity. And it's Ultima, man. It was absolutely, absolutely stupid. Oh, man. Yeah, getting getting that car was the dumbest thing I ever did. How do I look in this? Don't you think I fit? No. <laughs> oh, wait. So, so, like, look, the Mini Cooper. I worked for this radio station in Southern California for, like, six years. And we would go to Peoria every year to watch the Padres and get ready for spring football. So I'd stay there for the week and I'd broadcast my morning show. And I get to the airport. The lady goes like this. I go, what's wrong? She goes, Mr. Cilio, um, do you know what a Mini Cooper is? I never heard of it. Well, here's your information. I went like this. Like the car gets brought up. I go, you're shitting me. The guy goes, there's actually more space in there than you think there is. I'm like, you're shitting me. I opened the door and actually there was space in there, but I'm driving around in this mini Cooper. And I said, do you think I could lift this thing up from the side? <laughs> Cause I used to be able to lift Volkswagens up. So I, 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 sure enough, I can pull, the, I can get the tires off the ground. And I'm like, man, do you think I should be able to drive a car that I could pick up off the ground? <laughs> I was like, I, I go, ma'am, I mean, I could pick the car up. Do you think that's normal? Just driving a Mini Cooper. Let me take a time out. Hour number three, Jason Cole, brand new book out. Shut up. Your kid is not that great. <laughs> We will talk to our friend and author and NFL Hall of Fame voter. Bottom of the hour. Keep it here on the National Football Show. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Mesa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Heading down the shore. Have a ball once more. Here, imaginations run wild and time stands still. Because here, you can find the best of the Jersey Shore, all on one five-mile island. So leave the old you behind 
and get lost in the woods. My name is uh, Fran Salerno. I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Niners all day. I would be embarrassed too to open my mouth and say anything if my team got a bone. <laughs> hey, the victors go to spoils, dog. Gotta remember, eight forty nine niner all day. I gotta side with the Eagle guys here on this. They they beat you, dude. Hey, if I have to suck it up that the Penn State Nittany Lions beat my ass and I got to hear it from Mike Missinelli, you got to hear it from Eagle fans that they took you apart in the NFC title game. Sorry, dude. Okay? If I've got to eat that thing, you've got to eat that NFC title. If that were me, that would make me mad as hell, man. I'd want the piece of the Eagles all year long. Holy shit. Dude. They beat you. You can't sit around and go, well, what if? What if? Yeah. That's those idiotic sports talk guys that do that bullshit. That go like this. Yeah, well, if the sun was out and it wasn't raining out and if the grass was higher, the wet, this, that, buddy, they, yeah, yeah, every excuse on the planet except what? Winning. Come on, dog. Come on, man. Let me throw this at you here. Eagles following Super Bowls since 2004. 2004, 13-3, win the Super Bowl. Oh, excuse me, lose the Super Bowl, Patriots. Next year, you're 6-10. 2017, 13-3. 2008, 9-7. Then the, began, the beginning of the end started. Joe Pa smoked Miami in 87? I don't think so, Junior. <laughs> I don't think so. And that's not quite what he said about big sales. That's not quite what he said. So let me ask you this, guys. 
you think the Eagles are going to have another run towards the NFC? Do you think I could find that? Hold on. Do you think I could find that? This quick? Wheels came off. Um, why did the wheels come off? What were the determining factors of the wheels falling off? What, what, what led to the wheels coming off? Joe Pod kicked my ass. Okay. Now, you see that little article right there? I posted it. Joe Paterno. Dan Cilio. Defensive tackle. I'll read it to you. Just so you know, Haas. Dan Cilio, Miami defensive tackle, whose eligibility is being questioned, is no average sort. A dominating lineman who bench presses 540 pounds, strongest man on our team, says Coach Johnson. Of Cilio earlier this year, Joe Paterno, Penn State coach, thought Cilio was Miami's best lineman. Yes, better than consensus All-American Jerome Brown. Right there at the bottom. Yes, better than Jerome, which wasn't true. (laughs) Not happening. Okay. Not happening. Joe Paterno thought I was better than Jerome. Hey, it's a great article. I'll only tell you guys this. Paterno thought I was better than Jerome. (laughs) I was good. I was good, but not him. I was more consistent than him. And I wasn't a lunatic as much as he. We were both lunatics. We were both lunatics. You couldn't talk to us. We frightened everybody we played against. Yeah, right there. Look at that. It's a great article. Dan Cilio, Miami's defensive tackle. His eligibility is in question. There's no average sort. Dominating lineman who benches 540. Strongest man on our team, says Coach Jimmy Johnson. Of Cilio earlier this year, Joe Paterno, the Penn State coach, thought Cilio was Miami's best defensive lineman. Yes, better than Jerome Brown, consensus All-American. That's quite a comment from Joe Pa, isn't it? Hey, that's quite a comment. I got to tell you, though, one, one last thing before we move on. Hey, Yale, you'll like this. I'm sitting in the airport on my way back to Connecticut. And it's after the game. It's my freaking birthday. We played the night January 2nd. My aunt was there. My aunt took these crazy, my aunt took these crazy pictures on the sidelines. The president of the United States was there. President Reagan was there. Uh, Costas, NBC. It was the first national championship game. 100 million people watched it. Anyway. I'm in the Phoenix airport the next day. Thank you. Thank you, Arthur. Listen. Hey, get this. I'm sitting in the airport. I get this tap on the shoulder. I turn and look. It's Joe Pa. 
Congratulations, coach. He goes, hey, I know it's tough. You know how many of those things I lost? I, uh, I don't know. He goes, I lost three of them. He goes, the problem is you played so well. And I went, yeah. Had my head down, put, put his hand around me. He goes, he goes, you know what my mistake is? Letting you not come to Penn State. How'd that happen? And I go, I go, you came walking down the street or the hallway in my school. You look exactly like my Uncle Bucky. I thought my Uncle Bucky was coming to school to see me. I'm not kidding. I go, holy shit, my Uncle Bucky's here. My coach, Joe Anzalone, goes, no, that's Paterno coming to see you. And Joe Paterno's walking. He's walking towards me. He goes, I want to talk to you. I said, listen, my grandfather would totally want me to come play for you because you're a paisan and you're like, you're, you're, he would totally, my, my grandpa, when I told him that Paterno came and saw me, he was like, holy shit, you got to go there. And plus that Millen and Clark and all that. I wanted, I, I, I really, he took a look at my transcripts and he goes like this, well, you're not a student. You don't give a shit about school. And I go, not at all. And he goes, well, that's a problem for me. And I said, coach, I don't, I'm not going to be a rocket scientist and I'm not looking to try to get into Wharton School of Business. That's not my deal here. I'm not doing that for that. I'm not, I'm not, I mean, if, dude, if there was no thing as college football, I'd be in the army or something else or working with my grandpa. And personally, guys, just so you know, if nobody came and got me, I would have went and probably worked with my grandpa for the rest of my life as a fisherman. I wouldn't have left him. Because, when, hey, when I went to college, the only reason I went to Maryland is because Randy White called me. But the day my I went, my aunt knows this story. It's crazy. The day I was leaving to go to college, my grandfather started taking my bed down and all my shit out of my bedroom. And he was so upset, he didn't want to say it. And I, I put my hand on his shoulder and I go, Dad, if I, you don't want me to go, I won't. He goes, no, you got to go. I said, if you don't want me to go, I won't leave. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll not go because I love my grandfather so much. I, everyone knows I, they called me shadow. I go, dad, you don't want me to go. I will not go. And my grandmother goes, no, 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 you got to go. And that's how I went to college or I wouldn't have left him. Okay. I just would not have left him. I, if he said, I want you to stay, I would have stayed. I would have totally stayed with him. I had no problem with that. I had a great life living with them. That's, you know, my grandfather was like not a, not a rich man. He was a fireman, worked in a, um, a cement company, and he was a fisherman. That's all I knew. That's all I, that's how I was raised. I was raised by this old hard guy. I miss my grandpa. He was the best friend. To hey, Dirty D, man. My pop, best man I've ever known. Best man I've ever known. My grandma, too. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Get this. I wasn't raised by a mom and dad, but I was raised by the greatest people on the planet, my aunt and my grandparents. I would never change it for anything. Ever. Ever. My aunt's probably crying. <laughs> I would never change it for anything. Okay. 
Well, Brian, one of the people, just so you, hey, Brian, I come home from college. My aunt can tell you this too. I come home from college. Tone, you'll like this. Dude, I had like, I'm on national television, man. I'm playing these huge, my gigantic, like televised games. Oklahoma, Florida State playing against the Boz. These massive with Jerome and massive TV audience games. I come home. My grandfather starts doing this. I go, what are you doing? He goes, no horn blowing. Or he'd start doing this. I go, what's that? He goes, it's three hairs on a pig's ass. It's a swinette. I'm like, I'm not blowing my horn. And my, I, I couldn't say shit. My grandfather goes, here he comes. Big deal. And I always used to do this when I got a sack. I put my hands up. He'd go. He was so proud of me, though. <laughs> no horn blowing here. Oh, I could never brag. That's why I kind of married my wife, because my wife hates braggers, too. I don't know why she married me, because I'm the biggest blowhard there is. <laughs> you guys know that. <laughs> Chris, it's all good, man. <clears throat> hey, Chris, you don't cry because, well, you cry because you miss him a little bit, but you cry because of the respect you had for him. That's why. Cement company, fisherman, sales, you related to any Sopranos? <laughs> uh, I cannot... Answer that, nor will I. And if I'm going to be held and have my feet put on the fire, I will take the Fifth Amendment on that. <laughs> hey, do I know? I, I'm if if, Bi if Hunter Biden could take the Fifth Amendment on the laptop, I could take the Fifth Amendment on that. Joseph, does that make sense to you? Amen. Good night. <laughs> yeah. Hunter Biden could take the fifth. Big Sills could take the fifth. Yeah. One more time. One more time. Just one more time. One more time. Guys, you Philadelphia Eagle fans. You guys. You get under my shit too? But man, you guys here. You get a pelt. You 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 got to Gannon. <laughs> you guys got to an NFL head football coach where he's whining to like the six media people that are sitting at that thing last night he was at. Like when you have a Philly scrum where you have all the media people around, it's probably what. 150 people there, 100 people after a game or a press conference or what have you. What are there, four people there at this Phoenix thing? What, hey, hey, Brian, right? There's like four people at this Cardinal. Well, who in the world would be in a scrum covering the Cardinals? <laughs> it better be the St. Louis Cardinals, right? I mean, hey, if I'm going to cover the Cardinals, I want to cover the St. Louis Cardinals. Sills, your, your new beat is the Cardinals. Jesus, God, let it be the, the St. Louis Cardinals, not the Arizona Cardinals. No, it's the Arizona Cardinals. Shit. <laughs> There's like four people there, and Gannett's going, yeah, you know, those guys in Philly, man, they wanted my ass every day. Even though I had the second-ranked defense. Yeah, but you sucked, especially when we needed you the most. Did you ever notice that in the two, Hey, in the two Mahomes games, 
You, you, Jalen won. Okay, I surrender. All of you Jalen Hurts people who say that Patrick Mahomes was outplayed by Hurts in both games, you know, if you think about it, didn't he throw for 350, yard in that, 350 yards in that uh, Chiefs game? The first year he started, did he not? And then, so am I right when I say this? Jalen Hurts has thrown for has averaged 300 and twenty yards a game against Andy Reid and the Chiefs? Is, does that sound right? Jalen, Jalen has averaged over 300. Of all the teams that Jalen Hurts could average 300 passing yards against, the Chiefs might not be the team that I would think he would be averaging. Jalen Hurts against Andy Reid averages 300 passing yards. Jeez, you know, you'd think, well, what could possibly have been the problem? Oh, let me guess. Let me, let me, let me, let me guess. It's the tearjerker in Arizona. I, I, you know, you treat me bad. Those Philly fans, silly Owen Seth, silly Owen Seth, they got on me. Everyone else, you know, <laughs> man. So Jonathan Gannon lost those Chiefs games. Wasn't the offense of the Eagles. Right? It wasn't the offense. It was your boy. JG. And that doesn't stand for John Gotti. <laughs> man. Mike, how can, how, can the, how can the Eagle fans... I gave him the second rate. You didn't give him shit how he did it. Dude, you know how Howie sees you? Howie looks at you as a widget. You're a widget. So Howie, get this. Isn't it going to Arizona with Michael Bidwell and going to Indianapolis with Jim Mersey? Isn't that like being sent to Siberia? <laughs> I mean... Isn't that like being exiled? Where were you before that? Well, I was with the Eagles, man. And their great organization and that great culture and all the great things that they do and how they treat their players and how they develop everybody from the front office folks all the way down. Where are you now? Cardinals. <laughs> Four people cover me. Where are you now in Indianapolis? Well, I had to come out of rehab first because, you know, Ursay, he's a big contributor to Pills R Us. And so, you know, I have to work with that and work around that a little bit. <laughs> right? <laughs> Jim Mercer's big, big uh, charity thing is Pills R Us. It's a new app. <laughs> it's, a, it's a new app that the Colts have. Pills R Us. Oh, yeah, that's right. And prescription pads, too. Hey, I could print them off, too. Print off a bunch of prescription pads that Jim Mercer School of Medicine. <laughs> Better off in a Russian prison than being in Arizona or Indy. <laughs> who are you? Hey, who, Jonathan Gannon. Jonathan Gannon is now going to coach Paul Crew. Who's your quarterback? Paul Crew. Isn't that the guy in longest yard? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Oh, 
Mr. Softy is going to melt down in the desert. Good riddance. Oh, my God. I'm, we should call him Mr. Umbrella. They keep everything underneath. He was in Houston until all that shit. <laughs> yeah. Right? Bijan, damn, would you think of Bijan 10? Murphy 30. Murphy at 30. Man. Mur what? Hey. Aluminum 85. Illuminate 85. Doesn't 30 make more sense of this if you get your guy at 10? Let me get a bunch of players. Let me trade out at the 30th to get three dudes that will play for me versus one dude. When doesn't that does that not make kind of more sense? Because then you can create the depth you loss at 30. You know what I mean? Get your guy at 10 or trade down to 14 with the Patriots to get your guy Bijan. If you don't feel comfortable, depending on what the board says. And then trade out of 30 and get three quality guys. Two, three, and four this year. So then you go from six picks, right? You go from six picks to nine picks. Then you have nine this year and 14 next year. So think about that. If you do this right, you could have 25 potential picks in the next two years. You're, you're going to get younger in your roster the next two years. And here's what, isn't this what we've been saying about the um, Eagles? So if I have 25 picks, surely five of those guys are going to be stars. I'm going to pay the law. I'm going to play the law of averages here. 25 guys, five guys have to be good, good ball players. Five starters out of that crew. I'm good with that. Plus, 17 of the 22 right now are already built through the draft over the last couple of years. It's pretty impressive. They told him to take the bus home because he's the reason we lost. Jim Schwartz would have stopped him. He would have. Anthony, thank you. Only thing is, I don't have a cape. I don't have the cape. All right. I want to bring in my boy for a little bit here. He's got a brand new book out. Jason Cole. Shut the F up. No, it doesn't say that. Shut up. Your kid is not that great. <laughs> so I'm 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 reading this thing here. And let me let me let me give you my takeaway. Uh-huh. It's about not setting expectations too high for your child, isn't it? It's about being a realist and letting I think everything it's, play itself out. Uh, it's no, it's, don't sit. Hey, we got a, a, a um, tone. Let's see if we can reconnect here a little bit and see if we can uh, reconnect. Good. Can you hear me now? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Now I got you. Go ahead, Jason. Okay. All right. So I would, I, I would put it this way. It's about about letting let your kids set their own expectations. Don't set the expectations for your kids based on what you want. Okay, let them go have fun. Let them be passionate. If you've got a kid who's passionate about playing baseball or football or whatever, feed that passion, right? Like feed it, but don't tell them that they're going to be the next Tom Brady, right? And You're... don't and don't and don't tell other people that they're going to be the next Tom Brady. Because that's just not going 
that's setting up, that's setting them up for a trap that's not fair to them and robs them of what the passion of playing is what was your takeaway conversation with tom brady senior tom, i think tom brady senior tried to make make things fun for his kids my other takeaway conversation is and this is kind of famous that you know, Tom is, remember, Tom's famous for that, you know, breaking down and crying and saying, you know, I was going to become an insurance agent, right? Like his dream would be lost and he would become an insurance agent, which was not really an insult because his dad is an insurance agent and he's a very successful one, right? But when you're an insurance agent, your job is basically taking care of other people and make, assuring them that their life is going to be okay if things are a disaster, right? You're always, if you're really good at your job, you think about other people. And Tom Brady Sr. spent a whole life, and his wife too, thinking about other people, like other people who are on the team, like the other kids on the, you know, te- on the team. Like when, he's, when Tom is playing basketball in the little Catholic high school in San Mateo, right? Like it wasn't about get him with better players and go get him recruited onto a better team with a lot of better kids. It's about make the kids around him better and make him care about those. And I think that that plays out over the course of his career. Like you've seen that speech he gave at Tampa after, you know, the ring ceremony where he named every single guy on the roster and looked at him and pointed at him and talked about their contribution. Even if there was some guy who was, you know, blocking PATs, right? He was pointing that out, right? And that to me is a sign of a guy, like you want to fight for that guy. You want to fight with that guy. You want to be next to him because, you know, he recognizes you. And so that to me is the takeaway from my conversation with Tom Brady. It was always about other people in the, in the process. Jason, do you think he's struggling again by being away from the game, Brady? And that's why he's not giving direct answers when being asked. I mean, do I personally think he stays retired? I think he does, but I think also there's a part of him that's kind of like uh, what Michael Corleone said in Godfather 3. Just when I thought I was out, they're pulling me back in again. There's, yeah, but for whatever not, reason, but I not, see that. But it's not them. It's him, too. Yeah. Okay. Like, you get – I mean, this is a little boy's game, right? It's hard. It's hard to walk away from playing a little boy's game, right? It's you know, and for some of us, it ends when we're really young, and we we discover we're just not good enough to play. Some you know, get through high school and college and play a little bit in the pros, but you never let go of wanting to play. Now practice and working out, <laughs> okay, that's for the birds. But play, you always want to go play, and so that's the hard part that any human being has and i think he's yeah i think he struggles with Uh, and just like i remember seeing bernie kosar the day he retired bernie struggled retiring and and, you know bernie was a backup at the end but it's a struggle to let go of playing a boy's game or a little kid's game i should say you know you know jace um there's a story out there that a lot of folks don't know and to your what you're saying when jimmy johnson got the miami dolphin job um, Jimmy called up Troy Aikman, and it was this close that Aikman was going to come back. But because, you know, he left the game because of concussions, but he was going to come back and give it a go. But his better judgment kept him out of it. He said that, you know, I got to let this thing sit and go. 
And he said it was a struggle for four years for him after he retired because he thought every single July about going back and playing again. So it's truly, Jason, when you get to that point, it's truly the toughest divorce of your life because that's your true love and your first passion is the game. Mm -hmm. Hey, look, I, I still go out and try and play basketball. <laughs> I, I still, okay, I still go out and try. Okay, it ain't nearly as pretty as it was thirty years ago. And it was, it was not, it was a pretty nice game too, you know, thirty years ago. But you know, I can't do it anymore. But I try. You know, like, and I didn't play at that level. I just played, you know, schoolyard hoops, right? And and you know, a hundred pounds ago. But you know, schoolyard hoops, and I enjoyed it. Right? I miss it. I miss it terribly. Absolutely. Um, Jace, give me your, your takeaway from the owner of the Eagles. You know, we don't talk about him a lot, but I think one of the things that has made this guy a great owner, boy, I'll tell you what, once he's vested in you, he totally believes in you. And look at how the Eagles put that salary cap together in them cap hits where they're paying. And Jace, I couldn't wait to tell you this. They did exactly what you said over the next three years. Jalen Hurts is getting 170 of that guaranteed $255 million at the yeah. front end of the contract so that they get cap release throughout the entire existence of that contract. They're theoretically doing what you said. They're paying them up front at the front end instead of the back end. And right, they give them a no yeah. trade. Right, because this is – I mean, these are – these next three to four to five years, and, you know – Knock on wood, the kid plays five. Knock on wood, the kid plays another ten years, right? And really develops into that pure, true franchise guy that you, you know, you can't be without. But he's a running quarterback, you know. And it's just, it's the same thing with Josh Allen up in Buffalo. They paid him after year three. Why? Because he runs a lot, and you know, guys who run a lot get hurt. Lamar Jackson. You know, I'm afraid he missed his opportunity to really get paid. Um, it's you know, it's it's a really tough thing to pay, play to pay a guy who you know takes a lot, a lot more damage than your typical quarterback, and is not a pocket guy, and may have trouble transitioning to be that pocket guy. Now you may, and Jalen Jalen Hurts may become a pure pocket passer someday. Um, that's not his pure game right now. I asked Mark Schlereth this question yesterday. I said this, Jace. If you had to start your football team between Lamar Jackson, he's 26, and Jalen Hurts, who's 24, who would you take? I was shocked. He took Jalen. Who would I'm you not, take? Uh, I would take Jalen. I would. Wow. I think, think Jalen's a better thrower. You, I think you, Jaylen, you, I, you both think that Jalen's a better football player than Lamar Jackson? No, I think he's a better thrower. Okay, I mean, look, Lamar Jackson is a fascinating player, really, truly fascinating player. And I think that, you know, I could come up with a coaching staff that would know how to win games with that guy, right, and figure it out. But I also recognize that the game is played from the pocket more than it's played from running it, okay? You affect the game more from the pocket because you have the entire field to attack. Jalen Hurts is better at that. 
So if I'm trying to, to formulate a team that can play consistent football and play from the pocket, I want the passer who's better from the pocket. Finally, Jace, how do you cover the draft? What, 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 what do you and how do you look at the draft? I can't see you sitting down going, hey, that guy from Fundalac, Wisconsin – Man, I'll tell you what, that guy would be a really great pick in the sixth round because I'm no, not a no, I'm not I'm not a scout. I'm okay, a I mean, because you look, you're a Hall of Fame voter, but how do you how do you cover the draft? What are the things you take away, say the following Monday after the draft gets completed? What what storylines do you look at as you prepare for the draft? Well, as a writer, traditionally, because you there's stuff that you do write about and stuff you don't write. The stuff that you do write about are, are more uh, human interest stuff, like how does this guy fit, you know, in foot, you know, traditional football stuff, right? Which everybody understands. That's the analysis. What I'm really looking at from a higher level, from sort of thinking about it as a general manager or, you know, a where is the team in the process of building and what did it do to help or hurt its process of building a winning team? So I've always, you know, I, I used to run into certain coaches like, oh, I want to have, you know, a ton of draft picks. You have 15 guys every year. I'm like, well, if you got a veteran team where you know, you know, 48, 49, 50 of your guys already, why are you bringing in 15 new guys just to shuffle the deck? Right? Um, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Are you trading away your picks to get out and move, move ahead? the angle so that when you know you have to do the rebuilding, you're doing the rebuilding, or are you just taking picks to take picks? Um, even though you should maybe only be taking three or four or five guys in a given draft. Like I study that kind of stuff and I want to know which GMs are really thinking or which, which, which aren't. And if they're trying to build their defense, you know, what kind of guys are they taking and how do they fit within the scheme that they're building? Um, you're always looking at that. And who's taking quarterbacks late in the draft to try and develop something? Because as we found out, like Brock Purdy was one of the most important draft picks of the, of the draft last year. And at the draft, everybody thought he was Mr. Irrelevant. Well, he was awfully relevant by the end of the year. He surely was. Folks, it's really an interesting read. And, you know, Jason, I think Jason had me in mind. He didn't make it like too wordy. So it's a really easy read. By the way, <laughs> I got to tell you where this is really convenient. Uh-huh. I, it's near the throne. This is a throne read. It's absolutely a throne read. That's the this. End, end. I, I sat around. I must. I went. I got. To, let's see. I'm up to. Oh, he even labeled. He even numbered the pages. Fifty three. I'm up to page fifty five right now. So again, folks, it's a must read. It really is. It really is a great read. I hope you guys go out and buy it. Amazon, you can find it here. Here's the book right here by Jason Colders, an introduction by Tom Brady Sr. Jace, thank you for the copy. Brother, I'll catch you next week, brother. All right, dude. We'll talk. You got it. That's our friend Jason Cole. Make sure you get out and buy the book. You're not going to believe whose contract is going to be redone because of your boy in Philly. You were not more like a pamphlet. As my grandfather would say, this is a great shit house read. <laughs> Hit the like button. 
You're not going to believe who's going to get his contract redone. Hit the like button. I'll tell you next. Keep it here on the National Football Show. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messa and Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Heading down the shore. Have a ball once more. Here, imaginations run wild. And time stands still. Because here, you can find the best of the Jersey Shore, all on one five-mile island. So leave the old you behind and get lost in the woods. My name is uh, Fran Salerno, and I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Patrick Mahomes is going to get a new contract already? Holy shit. Signed a 10-year, $426 million contract extension. And guess what Clark Hunt, the owner of the Chiefs, said today? We're going to wait for all the quarterback deals to get done this offseason. And then we're going to assess where we are with Mahomes. Wow. That's a great organization. (laughs) 
He's delivering. He's. Can you imagine? That, can you imagine that you have an organization that wants to give? A, they're not obligated to do anything. The Browns. Excuse me, not the Browns, but the Bengals would never do this. The Chiefs are going to go like this. This is what makes them a great organization. Dude, you're you're too good for this. What does that mean to the player? What does that mean to the entire wanting to win? You got a generational player in the building, and Kansas City sees it. Look at how Kansas City's treating Mahomes. I wonder what the Bengals are going to do when they have to come up with the kind of money that they're going to have to come up with in Cincinnati to keep that guy in the building. I can't think that Mike Brown is all of a sudden going to just magically turn into Daddy Warbucks and go, hey, Joe, just I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie Founder. It's the story of McDonald's, right? Michael, uh, the guy who played Batman was in that man, was in that Michael Keaton. And he hands the brothers, like the guy, I guess, gets sick. I, I love that movie, actually. The guy gets sick. He gives him a heart attack. The guy's in the hospital. And he goes, yeah, there's a card. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Guy opens it up. And he goes, what's this? He goes, what's it look like? It's a blank check. The two brothers, the two brothers look at Ray Kroc and go, what are you buying? He looks at both of them and goes, you know, you get better. We'll talk about it. Get better, Mac. See you guys later. What are you buying? <laughs> I can't think. I can't think. Mike Mike Brown, the owner of the Bengals, is obviously going to turn into Ray Kroc. <laughs> uh, uh, that ain't happening. This guy's going to turn into. Um, Ray Crocodile. <laughs> you know, them little short arms. I, I can't reach my wallet. <laughs> I can't reach my wallet. <laughs> my arms are too short. What happened? I come, I can't get in my, Jesus. I can't get in my wallet. <laughs> I can't reach for that bill. <laughs> hey, I can't reach for Burroughs contract. Come on, what's happening here? Oh. <laughs> uh. Okay, that ain't happening. This guy's a T-Rex. <laughs> Mike T-Rex Brown. Why is he a T-Rex, Sills? You see his arms when it comes to reaching for his wallet? This guy's Godzilla. <laughs> hey, hey, by the way, that's the noise Mike Brown's going to make when he sees that initial contract offer by by Joe Burrow's people. Like a T-Rex. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you, and you know what you loved about the way the Eagles cut their deal? The Eagles were like this. Yeah, that'll be $255 million. Oh, yes. Here's $170 million in guarantees in the first three years. Sure. It's like a menu. Here was Nicole talking to Howie and Jeff. What would you like on your order? Well, we would like a $250 million contract. That's under um, entree. 
Sure. What's the appetizer? Uh, the no trade. Ah, that's item number three. Very good. We love item number three. Um, maybe um another appetizer. You know, a little bit more so that we can kind of share. How about one hundred seventy million dollars? Uh, guaranteed in the contract, and we'll do it in the first three years. So our entree is two fifty five. My starter is my no trade, and my appetizer is one seventy. Check. <laughs> here's my credit card. Here Jeffrey Laurie goes. Here's my credit card. Hey, we got that for you. Thank you very much. I'll see you in twenty twenty four. We're good. Hey, <laughs> right. Here, here's Mike Brown. Here's Mike Brown with Joe Burrows. Guys, go to him. Um, our entree is going to be a no trade. Well, we're going to need um, our appetizer is going to be $225 million. Okay. My entree is going to be 270. This guy's going to have a heart attack. Mike Brown's going to have a heart attack when he sees what the menu is. And what the what the order is for that guy. Jalen got it done nicely. Shit, he could have had Jalen Hurts could have had his contract done at a takeout. <laughs> this guy here, man, this guy's gonna end up in the hospital, Mike Brown. That same place DeMar Hamlin was in, right? Thank God Hamlin came out of it. He's getting his I don't know about Mike though, man. It's gonna be a rough one for him. <laughs> How much? 275. Boy, I'll tell you what, he's going to need a lot of oxygen. <laughs> Holy cow, dude. Jesus criminy. He's going to need a lot of oxygen. Old man Mike is going to have to retire to like St. Petersburg, Florida and be hooked up to one of them ventilators down there in, in, in uh, St. Pete. It'd be oxygen night for him. Uh, uh, I can't really walk around a lot. What happened? I caught Joe Burrow disease. Jalen could have got this deal done at an ice cream truck. <laughs> hey, hey, seriously, man. This guy could have had this thing delivered to him by Amazon. <laughs> What's in the box? Your deal. Oh, a mail order deal. Look at that. Bring him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Send it back to Jeffrey. We're good. <laughs> I don't even have to see the guy. Mike Brown's going to go, oh, Jesus. Oh, I, oh. If I were him, I'd go like this to Joe Burrow. I'll give you 5% of the team. <laughs> oh, my God. Dude, honestly, wait, wait till you see the Spanoses and how they're going to deal with Herbert. Holy cow, man. This is no this. I talked to Joey Boza and John Boza, the old man, and they bitched over a $350,000. Well, here, here. And get, I got to tell you some of the per- parameters of that deal. It was a $355,000 or $400,000 dispute. You know what it was? If they cut him, Anything he signed with another team, 
with the money that they owed him would come out of the money. Here, they give him 330 grand. He gets cut and they sign him to 400 grand. He would owe the Spanos $70,000. They were like, F that. And, and, and I'm like, I would never sign that. I go, bro, dude, I'm not signing that. He was held out for four games over that. Four games. They disputed over $375,000. Like if his contract was, he was cut and he was a bust. Was, I think they were, see, here's the difference between the Eagles and the Spanos family. They weren't afraid of the Wentz deal. They weren't afraid of their failure with Wentz. The Chargers are so shell-shocked because of the whole Ryan Leaf deal that they have these little, like, they have these little, like, fail-saves. If you get a job, like, okay, like if you're an, an exit coach and you, Anthony Lynn went through this. If you sign for $3 million and you get a job, with the 49ers or wherever he is right now, Anthony Lynn, do you know the $3 million the Spanoses owe you? The salary that the 49ers pay you, you, they deduct it out of the $3 million he got from the Chargers. He doesn't get that money free and clear with the Spanos family. <laughs> and you're like, these. You signed a contract with the Spanoses. Yeah, kind of. Because, you, hey, you, you know what? You know what Spanos says to you? He goes like this. Hey, contracts. They're like hearts. They're made to be broken. <laughs> Sad, man. Nothing but green. Guy got it. Got it to the Super Bowl. Hey, it's, it's, that's, I think Herbert's contract is going to be a nightmare to negotiate. I think the Mike Brown contract. Because, look, you've got the cheesiest owners in the NFL. Dude, those are the cheapest owners in the NFL. Spanos and, um, and Mike Brown. Yeah, they're so cheap. Oh, my God. And, and then Lamar, I'm, I'm, I'm still not understanding on what's going on. I know Lamar, want, Lamar wants $200 million guaranteed, and they don't want to do it. They don't want they don't want they don't want to do the 200 million. Jalen did his on a cocktail napkin. Yeah. This guy's at Geno's. Uh, let me see. No trade? Sure. Uh 170 guaranteed over three years. Can we do that over three? Sure. 255? 51 per? Sure. Okay, we're done here. <laughs> Dude, that negotiation must have taken all but, what, two minutes? <laughs> this is what we want. Okay. Sure. I wonder how many times I – wonder, I wonder how many calls Jeffrey Lurie made to Jalen, though, personally. You know he's involved in that. I'm not sending Howie to do that. I'm giving you $255 million, over a quarter of a billion dollars. I want to have a couple conversations with you personally. Hey. I love everything about you. You're everything. He must have said this to him, right? Hey, you Griel, everyone. He must have said this to him. You're everything I was hoping once would be. And 
his failure made me see how great you are. And this is why we're doing this. Carson Wentz probably sold this contract more for Jalen. Don't you think Carson Wentz's failures probably solidified this deal more for Jalen Hurts than any other besides him playing factor and him being a good dude. Great. There's a lot of great dudes in the league. There's a lot of hardworking dudes in the league. There's a lot of guys like that. That's not just a Jalen Hurts thing. There's a lot of great hard workers. But, dude, he 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 sold that guy. I have to think that Carson Wentz's failures helped that whole thing for him. And as smooth as it went, never kicked up any dust, never talked shit, never was impatient. It was all about team. That's why they rewarded him. And by the way, I know some of you don't believe this. This is why you root for him. Totally root for the guy. Have a great weekend. Next week will be a massive week. Um, Coach Johnson and I know Chris Chris Sims was supposed to come on today. He's going to try to come on next week. Um, We're trying to get Todd McShay on too with us. I know Jimmy's going to be with us Thursday and Friday. And we're also going to hopefully get on Kevin Colbert as well, who ran the Pittsburgh Steeler draft and get his assessment on Thursday and Friday as well. We got a ton of people. I'm trying to get Tom Telesco to GM of the Chargers. They're going to be really busy, probably front end of the week. You have a great one. Xander, thank you. Joe, thank you. Tone, you keep up the great work. You're killing it. And I appreciate it. And God bless you and your family. God bless everybody. We'll see you Monday, three to six. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.